Welcome to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast, episode number 59. And I've been told by Ant, because I lost a bet on the draft, that I have to sing the name of this. Oh, it's such a perfect day. Um, <laughs> we welcome in Chris Perfett, the uh, adequate host, although clearly, obviously, more than that, the adequate host of the POD cast over at Pride of Detroit. I'm joined as well by my co-host Ant and Brian. How are you doing, guys? Yeah, doing good. Thanks, Matt. It's uh, been a few weeks since I've been on, actually, but uh, it's nice to be back again doing this. Yeah, I'm good, yeah. Busy with work, so it's nice to just take a break and be able to uh, just chew the fat and get into the, the big news. This is where I talk now? Yeah, okay, yeah. great. Yeah, sorry. Um, I should probably pull back the curtain. By the way, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, this is really exciting to do. I wouldn't miss this for the world, especially given the circumstances right now, which is that my power has been out in my entire neighborhood. I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> and clearly his connection San is for now. Ooh. Oh, for the love of God. Oh, hold on, <laughs> hold on, hold on. Okay. 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 You're good, good now. You're good. good. Now? You're back. You're I back. am terribly sorry. I believe in good audio. And unfortunately, as I said, my power has been out since this morning for my entire neighborhood. Um, I am currently coming to you guys from basically an undisclosed location, but I might as well say it's the former studios of Motley Crue bassist Nick, Nikki Six, and I'm not technically supposed to be here, but um, I am uh, a flop sweating as usual. I am trying to work with the situations given to me, but I wouldn't miss this for the world because uh, you guys are doing something special. And I want to be a part of it. Thank you so much for, for giving us your time. We're, we're really, really appreciative of it. And we're going to start with talking to Chris. We're going to then move on to the news and then talk about coaches' presses and finish off with looking at the first half of the season, the first seven opponents the Lions have and how they drafted. It might be a bit early to look ahead to the season, but we're going to look at the full roster for these teams later on in uh, you know preseason time. But we can have a look at how they drafted to a strike while the line is hot on that point. So... Let's start with Chris while he's we back. We might be back. No, I'm here. I'm here. here. I'm here. All I'm right. Here. So, Chris, I'm here. I'm, I'm here. I'm just moving so I can get better Wi-Fi coverage in here. Jesus. <laughs> That's cool. So um, if I'm honest, so I, I've been listening to POD for about two years or so. This is kind of when I really started discovering podcasts myself in general, really. So. I kind of podcast. missed out. I love how you. I love how I love how the British say that podcast. Give it. I, I was listening to uh, some BBC Four stuff with uh, Neil McGregor, and I love just kind of that upward. I, I studied English a lot in college, in uh, high school. I just love that upward inflection podcast. We don't really do that. We just Americans. It's just like podcast. Yeah, podcast. But podcast. It gives it. I'm sorry. Like I'm sorry. I I I'm going off a cliff already. No, I love it, man. I'm all about language in the brain and how it works. That's my bag so i love mm -hmm. that um but 
so I don't really know about any of you guys in terms of like your origin stories, like kind of how you came to be where you are. I've kind of just come straight in in the middle and accept it for what it is, which is probably the best lines podcast out there in terms of the depth and breadth of what you do. So it's, it's a thrill to have you on. Um, but going on to your LinkedIn and actually finding out where you came from and how oh, this no. came to be and and your other work as well. So I know that you weren't on the POD cast yesterday because I caught up on that this morning. And mm-hmm. I, I'm presuming because that's you're working for Fox Sports. Yeah, so I do uh, technically Fox Sports Radio. It's uh, I don't actually get to be over at the Fox lot. Colin Cowherd will not. Uh, I will not let me share his uh, air at all. Is his oxygen? That is not something that is going to happen. Your so game. instead, yeah, 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 I'm over here in Sherman Oaks right now, um, and I've been working here about two years. I'm I'm just a board op though. I'm I'm a technical technical producer is the proper term. Uh, we like to use that, but you know, I've I that was what I was doing before I came out to California. Um, I've been doing audio for a very long time. Um, almost, I think a podcast, you say it's been about six years now and I was the one who got it started. But I mean, even before that, I did two years of a podcast, um, called make plays the college, the college football podcast or a college football podcast, depending on your predilection, um, with my friend Ross. And it was kind of the same thing as just me being an idiot, me being asshole anything about sports and getting a bunch of uh, reviews where it's like chris doesn't know what he's talking about as always um but i persevere because i go through flop sweat terror um and the microphone helping me overcome my anxiety at the end of the day it's how i kind of got started i started you know doing college radio my in my third go around with undergrad i had dropped out multiple times but i my third go around with undergrad i um started talking to a microphone found out hey i can actually talk i can actually listen to people i can like i'm making sure that this connection is still i apologize that's okay still good worry. yeah uh you've just come back now okay okay um Give me one second. Um, actually, you know what? No, we're, we're good. We're good. We're good. So I'm like, I'm like slowly edging this back over towards where I know there's Wi-Fi in here. So I'm slowly edging around and it's, it's terrifying because I might be seen, but anyway, um, but that was kind of how I got started. I just started doing podcasts just for the hell of it, but that was back in like 2012 when you could just do that. Um, I found out pretty good, uh, pretty quickly that we uh, had some good pull for it. I, uh, got to attend both mid-american conference media days big 10 media days um saw a posting for pride detroit i'm like all right shit i might as well do this then they have a podcast and i just started one and that was it i just you know i've i've kind of gone through my whole life with just um just i see something i do something and it either works or it doesn't and when it doesn't i feel awful about it for years and years and i never do it again and when it does work i cling on to it like hell because uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to get that chance again. But uh, yeah, I've podcasts has got me a lot of places. I was able to go back to school. I got my graduate degree at uh, USC and now I'm working out here. I'm rubbing shoulders with uh, overnights. <laughs> we are doing, I do weekends and I do overnights. It is the coal, as my friend Jonas would say, who's a fantastic human being. And I hope to God he's going to get a big daytime show one of these days, but uh 
we work the coal mines of radio. We're 24 seven. We've got to keep it going. We've got to let people know what we're about. And radio is different from podcasting. It's, it's funny because like they want to do podcasting too, but it's such, it's such a different environment. Sometimes things, things change so much. And I'm sorry, this probably doesn't answer your question at all. No, 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 you're good. I mean, I'm kind of interested into how radio and podcasting are so different. Well, I think with podcasting, you um, when, when you're doing a radio show, you want the widest audience possible. Um, you you, you want to cast your net, especially in national radio. Now, people have these great ideas of what ESPN radio and Fox Sports radio is, is like that this, this thing that everyone tunes into. We're actually quite niche because local radio shows in America, in your Los Angeles, in your major markets, in your Los Angeles, in your New York, your Chicago, those are the people who are important because they're focused. But we were basically the fallback for a lot of people. We come on after a game's done or something um, for podcasts though. I find like people come to a podcast in, in America, in America, like when you're in your car, you're listening to your radio, or at least it used to be. I still think a lot of people still do it uh, because of Sirius XM and everything. But for a podcast, you want to be, you want a niche, you want a selling point. You want something that says, Hey, we're different from every other podcast you've listened to. Cause there's so many people in the water and there's so many generic NFL podcasts, the more specific you get, uh, the better you are. And I think that's what fueled POD cast. The start is that I am not a serious person at the end of the day. I think I've, I think what happened, like I, I I'm a late bloomer to being a lions fan too. I uh, try to, <laughs> I try to not share that too much, but I think the first time I started, like I watched lions games in the nineties, but I didn't know who anyone was. And then when I actually, I, I grew up as a nerd. I didn't grow up as a sports fan. I didn't play football. I know a lot of people play football. I didn't play football. I hung around football. A lot of my friends were like, I had a friend who recorded our high school, football games for the coaches and I'd hang around that, but, and then I go to basketball games, but I wasn't really much of a sports fan. I was a writer. I was a nerd. I liked anime. I liked stories. I liked fantasy. I liked Tolkien and CS Lewis and fucking every trashy science fiction novel I could get my hands on. So I liked stories. And then it was much later on where I started to get insomnia and just hang up all night long that I just decided I realized sports creates great stories. And that's when I started listening to sports talk radio. And that's when I listened to Scott Van Pelt and Dan Levitard. And I'm like, all right, these guys are funny. Not only are they talking about sports, but it's not a deathly serious thing. It's a funny thing. It's, it's something we poke and prod and have fun with. And then I started diving into what was around Detroit. And I'm like, well, shit, it seems like everything here is just people being really angry or not, or just hating the idea that they're Lions fans to begin with. And I'm like, where's the fun in that? Like, this team's awful. Like, it's, it's been, I mean, when I jumped on board, it was awful. And then it got a lot better. And then it turned awful again. But I'm like, all right, this is just up and down. Look at the history. Um, and so I guess the response to that was, you know, if you hang around Detroit media enough, you know about like 97.1, you know about the, 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 the uh, stereotype is always like, oh, why are you wasting time with Lions or it's very serious or, you know, Detroit versus everybody. My opinion, my attitude has always been, I'm just here to throw spitfalls. This, this team isn't serious. And <laughs> when it takes itself serious, I won't be serious either. I will be annoying. I will be I will be throwing it in people's faces, but as I've dealt with with Colts fans, with other people who've called for my jobs before, I just treat it in a very unserious fashion because it's sports. It's not I I, I, 
I, I have to stress this, people. It's sports. It's it's entertainment. It's not supposed to be politics. I was very political growing up. Like it's politics is one thing that affects your life. Economics is one thing that affects your life. Sports, sports. This is a buy-in. You're, you're buying into sports affecting your life, and I would just rather not have it affect my life too terribly. Uh, the one time I ever melted down about sports, uh, twice actually. The first would be the 2013 ALCS for the Tigers, which was awful. And then the picked up flag against the Cowboys game. But after that picked oh. up flag, I'm like, uh. see, that's the thing. After that picked up flag, I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? All right. Like, it's a beautiful world out there. There's beautiful people to meet. Sports kind of creates your own. Um, we're so We're so isolated these days. We're so uh cut off from one another it's like you you go home and then you go to work and you come back and and if you've clung to your friends from high school or whatever that's your that's your circle like and i move a lot i don't have those circles i'm very much alone i don't have a lot of friends uh but i grew up with the internet and i learned how to make communities and friends through that and i realized shit sports is a great way to get get through with all that so I just want to be a positive force at the end of the day. I want to be like, hey, this is kind of funny. Oh, hey, we just blew this again, huh? <laughs> oh, great. But I think that's what fueled a lot of podcasts because, A, we talk about the Lions without completely dismissing them, like straight out of hand. We're just not like annihilating them for no good reason. But also, B, like, again, we're willing to take, and I, I love this British phrase, and I'm on a British podcast. We love to take the piss out of it every now and then. We like to just be like, okay. And sometimes that, that bites us back. There's plenty of reviews where like, Chris is awful. Why, why is he still the host of this show? Chris is terrible. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But again, I, I just kind of have to, to roll with that. There's a lot to unpack from all of that. But I, I'm so, sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> a, a couple of things that I just want to pick up on. First of all, your love of anime really came out with the interview with Jamal which was yes. terrific. I loved that so much. I am not a massive anime manga guy. I have watched a few years ago. So I I could say Elfin Lead, and I'm sure you would know what I mean. Um, but that's that's pretty much the extent of it. Vaguely, vaguely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but but his, yeah. he is infectious, isn't he, um, Jamal? And also, just to say with, with Hawkinson as well, saying we get to play a kid's game, that must resonate with how you feel about the sport generally. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like I feel like something happened with with football, at least when I was growing up, a lot of the kids who I talked to, it was always about, you know, I, when I grew up, I want to be Barry Sanders. And now and I hate to do these kind of axiomatic uh, declarations because I think there's always exceptions to the rules, so on and so forth. But I feel like on the flip side now when you when you look at people how they consume sports they're not looking to be like their their goal isn't i would love to or their their fantasy isn't my back uh, it says connection unstable again i'm sorry no, um, their, their their fantasy isn't their fantasy was never is isn't is no longer i want to be barry sanders or i want to be calvin johnson their fantasy is i want to be the general manager i want to be the coach we look at these teams and very much so in in I don't want to say moneyball terms, but in X's in like very, very much so like we all want to be scouts now. We we want to break down tape and we want to show X's and O's and we want to like, like you know become salary cap. And that's fine. That's really fine if that's what you want to do. Um, however, for me, who is a writer, who is a storyteller, who is a journalist, which is funny because I don't really write much anymore, although I really need to. Um, 
But for me as a storyteller, like those are cool. Those are informative, but they don't do anything for me. And I'm a storyteller at the end of the day. I want to tell stories. I want to have fun and, uh, and, and laugh a little. I, I, want to, I want to be two things. I want to be a storyteller and I want to be a fat Buddha. And I just, you know, get, get fat and laugh, you know? Uh, I mean, I, talking about your proficiency as a writer, I went on to Pride of Detroit yesterday and I thought, oh, I'll have a look at your articles and just, you know, see some of your back catalog. And I was like, I am not going one by one back to page 87 i'm not doing it it's far too far you have because most of them are just podcast posts at this point just shit i don't i i again i don't write much anymore i've had a massive block i finally got rid of that when i wrote the um my kind of full disclosure about micah parsons but that's really been about it I, i think i wrote some stuff around when matthew stafford was being traded just so I can crap on um, Colts fans. But that was really, that's really about it. But that's the kind of, I, I'll get back to it. It's just, there's nothing. I, I enjoy the draft, but I haven't really found a good outlet for writing about the draft, but it's going to come soon because I enjoy the draft. And I think this year for the draft is going to be really interesting is because I, I think the Lions made the right choice with Panay Sewell, but you can tell like at some point they're going to want the quarterback. I don't know if it comes through the draft, but uh, there's some interesting options this year in the draft. Um, and I know Jeremy just hates the idea of me talking about the draft right now, but I'm going to do it. If Jeremy's watching, I, I'm not sorry. Um, I mean, as long as it's not Keaton Slovis, I'm interested. Oh, oh Ryan. Hates I, I'm Slovis. a USC guy. I'm a, I'm a USC guy too. So please, I have been killing USC quarterbacks forever. Like I remember watching Sam Darnold when he was at the Coliseum throwing off his back foot directly to an Arizona defender. I'm like, how the hell is this guy? How, why are people high up on this guy? And then the jets take him. I'm like, okay, cool. Nice. Never mind nice. that, but he was, he was meant to go number one, right? Until the very last minute when the revelation came out, yeah. that it was going to be Baker. I mean, he was meant to be the best quarterback in that draft. Yeah, he 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 had it, it was it wasn't even like people tuned out for his senior year, but it was just that that year before it where it's like, OK, great. You took USC to the Rose Bowl for the first time in forever, which that'll get you accolades every time. People just have a fetish for USC quarterbacks. And it, it's actually funny because Slovis, I, I think I like Slovis, but at the same time, like his he's not pro ready with his arm and he's had the injuries and it, it almost feels like JT Daniels, who was who we took over for at USC might be better, but the problem is JT Daniels is going to hand off the ball 50 times that Georgia offense. He's not going to be able to showcase anything. Uh, so, I, I don't know what it is, but I mean, I'm more tuned into like Malik Willis. Yeah. You, bit. Yeah. Brian, you know about Malik Willis, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm very big on college football. I, I prefer college football to America, uh, the NFL. It's so much more entertaining. Like, I love it before they go pro because they're just so much more polarizing. Like I watch Arizona State, so I I know about like say Keenan Slovis and USC. The beaters in the last oh, minute yeah. last season that was a killer. So I'm high <laughs> on pretty high on Jaden Daniels. Like I say he's got a lot of potential, but like I say it's never too early to talk about the draft. No matter what Jeremy says, just uh, yeah, you know. yeah. It's it, it's 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 um. Sorry, I'm like getting some stuff up here so I. Can- and like uh keep this going um i was just gonna say uh you know i i i ran a college football podcast for multiple years too so like i used to love that stuff i think i think i've come in love a little bit more now with the nfl when it comes to like things like it's um 
I don't want to say it's pageantry, but the way it's able to weave stories, like there's so much parody when it comes to the NFL that I, I like both right now. I just think this current spat of like moving to the playoffs has not been great for college football just because we're getting just Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, and, and FU <laughs> after that. Just FU, and I'm not talking about a college. <laughs> I, I was looking at the history of the college football playoffs because the guys were saying, oh, Georgia might make it this year. And I was like, is that even possible? So I had a look since that is 2014, isn't it? That the college football playoffs have been a thing. And there's like eight teams have ever made it. And there's four each year. Yeah, like, Oregon, it's not Oregon Washington. It can't be a meritocracy. Yeah. And a lot of those teams came much early on in the playoff too. When Florida State still had Jameis Winston, Oregon still had Marcus Mariota. That first year was a very wild year. After that, it's been three different SEC teams Ohio State, Clemson, who's kind of basically an SEC team, and like very little else. Like you'll see a Michigan State or a Washington get in there and they'll just get absolutely torched. But that's not what we're looking at as NFL guys at the end of the day. We're looking at like better players. And I always have arguments with people about like I, I just had an argument with a friend about Malik Willis about like, okay, but he's not going to really play anyone at Liberty. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not looking at that. I don't care who he's lining up against. I want to see how his footwork. As I want to see his throwing motion. He's going to have some big games. And, but it's like, you know what these guys are. There's some lottery to it in a lot of ways. Um, these guys bomb out all the time. These guys bomb out all the time. And uh, I mean, you just have to take a shot with what you can. All right. Sorry, Sorry, I'm going to move this again. <laughs> it's okay, don't worry. Jeremy is not watching, he says. Um, <laughs> right now. I, I, I wish I could have Twitch up right now, but uh, as yeah. Jeremy can tell, I'm having technical difficulties. Yeah, and your audio is now not so great. Your microphone maybe is too far away. Hello? Yeah, yeah, let me get this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This should not happen on a live podcast. But, uh, That's okay. Don't worry about it. We we don't have enough fine. viewers to care. It's fine. This is for us. Yeah. I tell people all the time, because there's so many podcasts out there, like, take pride in your audio, because I do. Um, it's, it's, it's something that I think helps set a lot of uh, podcasts apart, and that's something I really pushed on PODcast, was like, we need good audio. I want I want it to sound most professional. It's not hard to do it at the end of the day. Either. Yeah, um, it, it's still a little quiet, Chris. I don't know if you can move it closer. All right, I'm almost on top cool. of this thing. <laughs> and it's still it's still not great. I don't know whether the connection. You know what happened? Hold on. I think it I think it actually changed. I am terribly sorry. Uh, it's all right. Uh, it's all right. Don't worry. Like, oh yeah, this thing's just. All right. Um and. Ryan, get thinking for some some there questions for Chris. There we go. That's much better. Yeah. And what, what do you reckon? Oh, sorry, you've caught me out there. Go to, go to Ryan first. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> go on, Ryan. No, I've got a question. Chris, you said you've moved around a lot. You've lived a lot of places. Like, how many different places have you lived? Have you moved across, like, say, oh east, God. north, west, south? Have you been <laughs> all over? Yeah, so... Um... Just in places I've lived, I was born in Greensboro, North Carolina. 
my family then moved my 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 father worked and my grandfather both worked in a glass manufacturing industry i moved then to toledo ohio which is kind of like they call it the glass city because like owens illinois is their owens corning they're very big glass fiberglass corporations um I moved there first and then we moved to Williamsburg, Virginia, which was for a couple of years. And we moved back to Toledo. I basically spent my high school, I mean, my elementary school, high school years there. Um, I ended up going back to North Carolina to Winston-Salem for my first college. Dropped out um, due to anxiety issues, due to emotional issues. Uh, moved back home for a little bit, then went to Vancouver, Canada for two years. Then um, came back again, bombed out again. Savannah, Georgia was the next stop. And that was fun for a while. Um, and that actually, I stayed down there for a while until I lost my job, had to move back in with the family. So back to Toledo, there for three more years, then come out to California where I have been since until eventually one of these days, I get on a boat and go to Japan, become a drunk in Hokkaido and never see the light of day again. Um, and hopefully some more stops in between. I've had my passport stamped in quite a few places. Um, I think I was telling you guys, I've, I've been to the UK before. I, I, when I was in high school, I got to go on a trip to Cambridge. And I think I, I, I fell in, I love your guys' country. I, I love the British Isles. There's something about islands between, because I'm obsessed with Ireland, Great Britain, Japan. There's something about islands for me. Iceland, I'll throw in there too, because why not? Who, lo- who doesn't like Reykjavik? Um, but I, when I went there, we, we got to do like a program with Cambridge. Um, most of the other students got to go. I was like 16. Most of the other students got to go and, you know, the fancy Cambridge dorms, those old dorms that have been around since the Middle Ages. Um, that didn't happen to me. Uh, instead, I got put in, an, in a dorm with a bunch of engineering students that was built in like the 80s. Brutalist as fuck. Um, didn't look that great, but we got the last laugh because those guys were savvy. Those RAs were savvy because, A, they took us to a football game, association football. Um, I cannot tell you what team it was at the time. Now, it probably was a second tier team, but I don't remember. Um, my last night there also, they decided that they needed to give us the traditional uh, college uh, university student, uh, UK student meal, which was curry and lockers um, because they're, 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 you know, if we got caught with booze, we'd be sent home, but we're going home the next day. So fuck it. Why not? Um, <laughs> so I got to have Persian Don Sock, which was fantastic. And then they gave me Carlsberg, which was not fantastic. <laughs> no, no, that is oh, not the best no. lager in the world. But, <laughs> but it's, it's cheap. It's cheap. And that's what's uh, important sometimes. That's, that's very, very true. Um, <laughs> I know that Ant is a big fan of Iceland. Um, you go there every year. Is that right? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, I go up there every year. It's a beautiful place. People are friendly as anything. So, oh my god, it is amazing. One of the worst things has happened because of COVID is shutting down. Just us traveling around, and like I'm on the west coast, so I feel more alienated sometimes. But I, ever since I went to the UK, like I've wanted to go back. I've I, I didn't get to see Scotland. I want to see more of that, and I want to go to the continent itself. Um, I love Germany. Um, I just, I, I I'm a tap. My family's history is Italian. I'd love to go down there sometime. It's, it's funny. You guys just kind of move around like that. Whereas here we got this great big country and your idea of getting out of the country is you go down to Cancun or up to fucking Toronto to buy beer or something. That's really about it. And Toronto is less than a stone's throw away from Detroit anyway. So uh, yeah, well it's, it's a little farther, but like, yeah, you just go over the bridge. You're in Windsor, Ontario. You get 89 X, the alt rock station from there. You get, you get booze, you bring it back and uh, you try to not get caught. Um, 
that's a good that's a good run. Everyone does that run. Mm. And you got a question for Chris? Um, yeah, Chris, I know you've gone through a lot about your, you know, what you like, what you don't like. Obviously, you do a lot of podcasting. Um, my question is, is, you know, if you had the spare time, is there anything sort of really specific that you would like to podcast on, like another passion you have that you would do if you had the time? Jesus. Um, <laughs> I am flighty. I am whimsical. Um, anime always comes to mind, but I think it would be Japan. Um I'm not just like an anime guy when it comes to Japan, but like I've loved, I, I study up on everything. I study up on its politics, on its history. Um, I eat a ton of its food. Um, I still want to go over there because I, when I went to USC, I was hoping to get out of sports and just start covering Japan itself. Um, and I, I have no real reason to, I don't like idolize the country or anything. It's just, you know, both of my sisters speak french fluently and one of them covers you know the politics of france very well you just fall into these categories there's something magical about another place that you just kind of study you it, it broadens your horizons and for me that's just been japan um besides that uh for podcast ideas i don't know um i i've always want when i got into this i've always wanted to kind of go doing national sports talk just because i could go place to place but it's i mean i bounce around so much it's it's a hard one to pin down i love the i love the question i just i wish i could come up with an answer that i'm not going to be rethinking by tomorrow <laughs> jeremy has a suggestion he says you oh what do you say a luchador wrestling beat writer oh luchador, luchador. all right mm. Ooh, mm, yeah that would, that would that would. i didn't bring the mask today i did not bring the mask <laughs> uh um Let's ask a kind of generic lines question. I, mm. What's your, it doesn't have to be a game. It could be a kind of fan moment or a POD moment maybe, but what's your favorite moment as a Lions fan? Oh man. So I'll have a few answers for this, but Go I think it. the most, I, I think I've, I've been on the record about this, but the most fun I've had doing this podcast was the second half of the 2016 season. Um, they're actually just like four games in when, cause you, 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 God, 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 you have, you've got to be kidding me. Like that season was nuts. That is what every fan dreams of to have every game come down to the wire last minutes, uh, uh, victories we have. I think that's when we really came into our own was that season because we like, Vine shut down that year and I decided to start playing Africa by Toto. And that turns into this thing where people are sending us videos of them drunk in bars and, and pubs where they're just like getting blasted while, while going, it's going to take a lot to drag me away from you. And everything that came with that season screen. I was at my, my, my relatives screaming during Thanksgiving as, as Darius Slay picked off Kirk cousins. Like it was a, fun season it i know it didn't end right it, it it ended with a crappy game in seattle but in that moment that singular moment of those games that was there were so many good fun memories that were made that season and i think that's what when we were doing that season i'm like this is really what i want to do this is really what i want to do that year was also when i decided to go back to school for journalism and USC picked me up from there. And the rest was history. Um, that season was incredibly emotional for, for me, for a lot of reasons um, that season also gave us Ryan drunk, Ryan Matthews drunk in Cancun in, uh, in Cancun. 
no, no, not Cancun, um, Punta Cana, Punta Cana, um, drunk off his ass, which I still play for people. And uh, it's probably <laughs> the best thing I've ever produced, even though it's bassy as hell. Um, that season, I think, so over here, and I think you can imagine why, and it's probably the same in the States, is the, the, the Patriots the most followed team by far. And I think that that season gave us a little taste of what it might be to have Tom Brady, because <laughs> no matter what happens with Tom Brady and, and the Patriots, you always had a chance. The Super Bowl proved that, the 28-3. No matter what, you've got a chance. And that season, I kind of believe that no matter what, no matter how far we were behind, we actually had a chance to win this game. And I've never and really felt like that yeah. since. That, that's always been the appeal of American football too, right? And again, I, I mentioned the parody earlier too. And again, I love a lot of sports. I grew up a huge basketball fan. Um, I am a huge, I watch more Serie A than I care to because when I was growing up, I fell in love with Italy and I saw Francesco Totti play oh. and I became a Roma fan. I, I, I was like, this guy is awesome. He is pizzazz. He is everything. Oh, he's, oh, he's played for this team his entire life. Oh my God. Like and I, I watched his final exit from the stat, from the Olympic Stadium there, and it was emotional. But like the NFL, for as grotesque and weird as it is, and hard as it is to get people into because there's so much time between plays, those kind of flips, that kind of drama is so again for storytelling. You really can't beat it. Like I've seen some crazy turnarounds in baseball before too. Don't get me wrong, but. For football, especially for me growing up in the Midwest, it it was there. It was part of your blood. It was a language you spoke as an American. Every If you say touchdown to an American, even if they haven't watched a single second of the NFL, you know what you're talking about when you say a touchdown or when you're talking about punting or anything like that. Like The language is there, so you have this ready-made language. And when football really turns it on, when the NFL really turns it on and starts to just really bleep with itself is when just like it's it's so it's such an easy sport to write about at the end of the day. It's such an easy sport to create heroes, villains, narratives out of. And it's 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 so appealing to me in that regard. Yeah, right. We'll hit a couple of questions from the mailbag that we sent out. We had Ian on our WhatsApp chat ask, what do you think? British sports does better than U.S. sports and vice versa. Uh, this is actually fantastic. Um, I think you guys have a much more, I would say, fair sense of what creates the best teams. Um, not in that a cuttery can buy up, you know, PSG and then just start stomping on everyone by buying the best athletes in the world, but in that going back to what a table is in like say the premier league or syria that's fair that is exactly fair your regular season is all you have there is no such thing as a postseason um i look at something like say the nba where it just keeps expanding its its postseason because that's what draws the tv revenue and they have a problem in that a lot of american sports fans and some of their players believe that the regular season doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. So, and that's the problem. Why would you tune in for a regular season if you have this great big tournament at the end? And I, it, I, I find that I, I find that there's something at least, you know, I, 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 I don't mind the postseasons when they were like smaller. Like, say, if it was baseball, it was American League, National League, East West. Um, you had like, you know, a, a, a semifinal and then a final or whatever, but the, the postseasons have gotten so big, even in the NFL, I, I worry sometimes the wild cards are a little bit too big, but the regular season, because it's so 
small still really matters but it's hard to maintain that whereas like yeah sure i mean liverpool might end the season 20 points up or whatever and it's kind of non non uh anticlimactic but um yeah you're flexing there (laughs) um but it's fair like that's the best team i know it's the best team there was no shenanigans like maybe there were some injuries but it's such it's a long enough season that i don't even need to think about it too much it's it just makes sense i i think the other thing too when it comes to sports in in europe is just there's there's a I don't think you're, you're, I I don't know. I haven't listened to too much of sports talk from like the UK. I'm assuming it's not as poisoned as it is sometimes over in America. Sometimes like, but not far. No, I feel like Michael Jordan poisoned the, the rhetoric for a lot of, especially on the national stage of sports media and that we measure everything in how many rings do you have? How many championships do you have? And that's also gone towards the NFL too, on how we talk about quarterbacks as if they're these like, boxers who are going out there and dueling each other and quarterback wins is a stat that Trey Wingo was very mad at. Um, I don't know if it's much better, you know, in other places, but I think that's a part of American sports culture that can get really toxic sometimes. Cause it's just, it drives people insane that just sees it as like, this guy's a winner. I mean, we shit, we see it with Jared Goff right now, right? Like you can talk about all the statistics and what his failures or his, uh, you know, strengths might be, but there's always going to be some weirdo out there who's like, yeah, but he went to a Super Bowl. I'm like, okay, great. His team went to a Super Bowl. Yeah, he wasn't the major reason why. But he was an engine for it, too. Like, quarterbacks yeah. are important. They're just not. Oh, yeah. Like, when people talk about Tom Brady, you think he's the only person on the field for the Patriots. That's true. But I think, okay, so talking about the Patriots specifically, they, for the second half of Brady's run, were not awash with talent either. They were extremely well coached. They made the best of what they have, and they were greater than some of their parts by a long way. Uh, oh, sure, maybe, yeah. Uh, earlier on, Brady had talent around him, for sure. Uh, I mean, you, just Randy Moss. I mean, hell, he had Randy, my Randy Moss, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, like, yeah, but that's 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 kind of, that's that's a tale across the NFL, too, like, uh, in, in both ways. Like, Peyton Manning didn't have as much help, then he had some help. And he didn't have help again. And then he gets his ass dragged to the Super Bowl with, with Denver. Kind of the same thing with Elway or any of these other guys. Like teams kind of ebb and flow when it comes to the quarterback. They're very important because they're the guy who gets the ball in their hand first after the after it's after the snap. But I don't know. You should I you there, there's some guys in this country who just talking about who is the goat is can just it'll, it'll wear on you after a while it'll it'll wear on you because they're just and i mean there's there's also there's also some of america's very obsessive work culture that comes into it too um i know i've had to been on the air when people were talking about naomi osaka and as someone who has a massive anxiety disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder listening to people talk about well you need to do your job is very alienating but again a lot of these guys are, are are very addicted to their own work and i don't want to crush the media too much for it i don't want to crush because i find it's it's fun it's it's fun at the end of the day there's supposed to be entertainment but i mean I, I think maybe we have too many shows sometimes on espn maybe maybe i i think with osaka it's with all the... oh. yeah go on yeah and you go on 
So I was just glad to say, with, with all that that's coming out about um, Naomi Osaka and that, have you found that, like, between any of you and your colleagues, has that made you maybe rethink, you know, your interview styles or anything, you know, that how she says there's a lot of pressure on her after? Has, has it made you think about, you know, the way you do your interviews or anything like that? Well, when I do my interviews and for the scant ones I do, I try to be, I'm a very different person from like, say what a beat writer would be. Cause I'm not a beat writer at the end of the day. When I have someone in front of me, it's kind of almost a human interest thing. Like hell, when I, when I interviewed Golden Tate, I asked him what his favorite pasta, like what his pregame meal was or something. He, he told me he liked, you know, half and half pesto and, and marinara sauce. And I'm like, you're a freak. Um, but, and I asked him about like, you know, diving into the Michigan state band. And he says he doesn't remember, which I mean, I call a little bit of BS on, but um, I, 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 I think I think you just have to know what other, and this is the key even before that is like when you interview an athlete, you need to kind of know what they are going to, what they're prepared to say. And you have to look at them less about getting the quote that you need for the piece, which is always important, I guess, when you're writing. But I, I think I, I, you just got to see them as a human. I, I, it's funny because I've listened to some journalists who've kind of, run their hang wrung their hands about Naomi Osaka and have even shaken the table and said stuff like, you know, she wouldn't be a story without journalists. Okay, great. But we, I, I fair, fair. We have to write about her. We have to talk about her, but we also don't need to ask her about clay courts or nothing like that. Like at the end of the day, you don't need a quote from it. I, I think there is excellence in watching someone um, on a, on a on a stage just doing what they do and then you can still write about it you go back and look at like grantland not the website grantland but like the original the i forget his first name grantland one of the greatest sports writers in america he did not need to go and get quotes he just wrote what the he took the game and turned it into a story and i think that's what we should be doing best that's what we should focus on most it's 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 again it's about storytelling at the end of the day not about painting by numbers here's your recap here's a quote binga bang boom put it in go out to lunch it's about how you are as a storyteller and i think there's a lot of context missed in osaka because in 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 the terms of osaka herself like i mean I think at the onset, people wanted her to be Serena. They wanted her to be this vicious viper creature like Serena is. And she wasn't. She was killed a little bit for being too nice. Then last year, when there was, you know, the George Floyd and everything in America, she started talking about racism. She gets killed by the Japanese press because the Japanese press is like, what are you doing? Japanese athletes don't talk about these things. So, I mean, it goes back and forth. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I know. I'm sorry. We're way off no. Lions talk, no, but it's, no, no. it's funny it's, just how media works. We uh, we're a Lions podcast, but we don't actually do a lot of talking about ourselves. And I've been talking about trying to do that and let the viewers and listeners know who we are. And so, you know, I'm, I'm all about this, especially in the off season. So don't worry about that. But no, no, I mean, you, you should. You should. You absolutely should. Because, like, again, like I, I, I meet so many different people. I I, I, I love the UK. um uh, Lions fans I've met and I know like even even Manuel Bruni who's an Italian who writes about the Lions too when I can see it in another place I'm like great I we were talking before I love the idea of this sport growing internationally because it is such a pegged American sport when it was growing up and it was about you know what the locker room is but it was such a very American idea about it 
Um, and I feel like any, any good sport has to grow and become almost international. And the NFL is big enough. It can do that. It's just, it just seems to be resistant to it when it comes to like growing those athletes. I think so. But fans think, are everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the NFL possibly rightly sees that trying to give something meaningful internationally does mean perhaps detracting from the American product and that's its core market. And it's just worried that it will alienate people who already feel alienated, especially in the, the Trumpist age of down with the NFL. <laughs> you know, th- th- this is a failing sport with no viewers, blah, 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 blah. And then it's like, Hang on a minute. Oh, no, you want those to take pe- regular season games away from us? More games leaving the US? Like, no, we're not doing it. Those I, I people, just... those people who who yelled about it are the first ones who will come back to this sport. This sport yeah. is everywhere. Fickle. It is, it is impossible to 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 cut. And it's it's all it's a conservative sport at the end of the day, too. It's it's bound in American Puritan Christian ideology, in prayer, in ideas of working hard, and that the righteous uh, rise up and the sinners are defeated. That you know, Tom Brady, the righteous, will always win and the filthy Marshawn Lynch shall be banished to the void or whatever. It's, those kind of narratives would like just, just shit. Just look what, how many people like still glom onto Tim Tebow, right? Like that's, that's, that's the American identity of, of the football right there is like, people just love the idea of Tim Tebow for a lot of the things we talk about. Like he's a winner. Okay. But, like he's he's not actually a winner is whatever but it was like oh he's being persecuted as a christian no we just don't like the weirdo fans of tim tebow that follow him around like just give it a rest a little bit he might be the messiah or the second coming we don't know that for sure um just a couple of comments <laughs> from sorry. some from viewers uh one comment that absolutely killed me was from polar knights on twitch he said sweet jesus it is the perfect evolution of beards <laughs> yeah it's, i um it's striking <laughs> i uh oh god yeah i'm watching yeah i'm watching it here oh my god um yeah, we just see jeremy in here with his mustache now yeah you were talking about racism and i was just cracking up <laughs> it's awful it's gonna look so bad when we oh do the podcast god. and it's audio only and they won't be able to see um <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, i'm a talent mustache sorry trying to copy jeremy's mustache I could try and copy Jeremy's mustache. Oh no, that can't just... be copied. That can no, that cannot well, be copied. I do know that my girlfriend will not kiss me if I grow this out. So all I know is November is coming up in about five months, and uh, I need to start doing some prep work. <laughs> um, what else was there? Uh, Christopher McGee in uh, on YouTube said you've got to come to Glasgow. I can't endorse that comment. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> funny enough, one of my favorite YouTubers is a uh, Glaswegian named Big Mooney. He plays Hitman, uh, the Hitman games. And I, when I came on here, I wanted to have his accent down, but uh, obviously the power outage kind of stopped my prep there. But um, it's just something about that Glaswegian, uh, like, hey, hey, laddie. Uh, <laughs> or just, Matt, I, we have a lot of Scottish listeners, Matt, and a Scottish presenter, so don't you know say anything. No, no, I'm not going to try. I, 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 no, no. It, as I said, West, I he's from West Lothian. He's not from Glasgow. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to figure out the uh, it's, it's trying to figure out the geography is fantastic. Again, it's something new, so it titillates me in that regard. I also like a lot of whiskey, so I will go to Scotland at some point. You have to just because you have to yeah, do it. It's I, a beautiful country. If you ever get the time, if you take a hiatus, do the NC five hundred, which is a holiday I've had planned for years and not done. But that's a, a five hundred mile drive around the coast of Scotland, and oh it's my meant god, to be terrific! And yeah, I, I, many breweries. I've, 
I've just, I've never had those kind of opportunities in my life. The closest I've got to like finding myself was when I drove cross country from Toledo to California, four days on the road with a neurotic cat, but, you know, stopping in like Colorado and Nebraska and Iowa and like, you know, going through the Rocky mountains. I, my, I just never really had those luxuries in my life. My, as I said, my family worked their asses off. My mom is my, I, when I, when my mom was pregnant with me, she was working in like uh, the furniture factories in High Point, North Carolina. She still runs a carpentry business. Um, I am, I'm, I'm blessed to be where I am. Um, I'm terrified about the student debt that I've taken on, but at the same time, like, I, I've gotten a taste of travel before and I want to keep doing it. It's, it's, it's just my, my great wish in the world is to just be, it's great to work on what I work on, but at the same time, I think everyone would like to blow off work at some point and just go see what else is out in the world. You know, it's the, the stop and smell the roses kind of thing. Like you just, you go so fast sometimes it's just, I'm saying this as someone who hasn't seen his family in about two years now because of both my work and COVID. So, like, I'm I'm a little in my emotions about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're, we're we're dotted all around England, so you know, if you ever want a trip out there, there's plenty of places you can come see. And uh, oh my god, I was gonna say some of the other British Lions fans I've talked to, I think I've got about like eight different pints just waiting for me <laughs> in in various yeah. parts of of London, the Midlands, uh, uh, um, I think uh, the North in uh, in Liverpool itself, like. I know I'm welcome over there, which is why I wanted to do this because again, like I, it's, it's fantastic meeting guys like you who are very passionate about this sport that is so foreign, but at the same time, maybe it's just cause I'm growing up around a lot of Americans who only see America. Um, that's, that's not to put down a lot of Americans. A lot of Americans are very curious. They're very forward thinking, but there's also this conception of Americans being very self-centered sometimes. So when I can get outside, because a lot of news, like even when I try to go to like, I don't know, the independent, it, it shows me a bunch of American news and I'm like, okay, that's great. But this is a British paper. I want to know what's going on over there. You know? So yeah. Um, Christopher said you nailed it with the accent. So that's good. Um, oh, I'm, God, gonna... I'm not going to do it more than two, more than half a second. I will not do more than that. <laughs> I'm just going to swing through the other two questions which we had. One was from Kyle on Twitter. You replied to it already. I think it was a bit flippant, but I'm going to cover it anyway. How many times have the sure. Lions have been relegated since 2001 if it was a British league? Um, Ooh. So I, I think if we were treating it as a conference Bottom three? by conference, I, re- I reckon just one team from a conference, so two going down, but only one from right. the NFC. I I reckon it's twice, maybe it could be once. Yeah, I, I mean, since twice. 2000, I mean, I'm trying to think because like I'm thinking bottom three and I'm thinking about draft order, right? Hmm. So how many times have they had a top three pick? It's been oh, well, uh, last year. Last year, um, last year Stafford obviously, um, Calvin Johnson. Um, mm-hmm. My, my memory is starting to fade a little bit here. I, so it's been at least three times they'd probably be relegated. Yeah, um, not, the not the best. Yeah, yeah. That, and- that's another thing, I, again, I like about European sports is that, you know, we're, and this is something I was glad I didn't see the Super League over there formed was like, we reward bad teams over here. We reward bad teams because it's in our best interest. I mean, it creates the parody of the NFL, sure. But in some other teams out there and some other leagues out there, they've kind of like weaponized this idea of tanking as like, you know, it's the 76ers line, trust the process that if you just suck and if your fans accept that you suck for a long time, maybe you might be good. 
you know, and I just I never like that shell game because it feels like I'm just wasting my years on it. And again, you don't have to worry about that in in you know UEFA in the the domestic leagues in UEFA. Like if you're bad, there's no trust in the process. It's you're going down to the championship, buddy, and you're yeah. gonna you're gonna like it. Yeah, my my local team is a little place called Yeovil Town, and uh, oh. they they went up to the championship as a tiny little club, the smallest club in the league by far. When they were in the league below that, and they went up. And they were in the second division, uh, the championship. And then they mm. had effectively four consecutive relegations all the way down and to out of the out of the professional leagues now. So it's uh, it's been a pretty horrific time locally. But, I mean, they, they in a good day, might get 6,000 fans. So it's not exactly the biggest club. So yeah, I know that's, that's what like, can happen. I... When, when you're bad, sometimes you <laughs> never get good again. Yeah, I, I bang on the MLS all the time for that crap. It's like, all right, you want to be Europhilic. You want to have the chants and the drums and the and the smoke and everything, but you don't want pro rel. Like, I mean, come on, guys. Like it's 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 even more striking in MLS, but there's a lot more problems than just that for MLS too. But yeah. I mean, I this is again why I don't mind it for foot for football, it's a little different just because we can't even find 30 good, 32 good quarterbacks out there, right? Like, it, it, I, I kind of get it when it comes to basketball and, and, and NFL on why we don't have it, just because it's like, it's so hard to put these teams together in a competitive way. And maybe it could use a farm system. That's why I was really hoping for the XFL to take off. But yeah, no, no billionaire owner is going to ever admit to wanting relegations. Like, oh, I might get punished if I don't spend. Hmm. Yeah, mm. yeah, no one wants that. No one wants that. Yeah. Um, oh, Dan has been saying that Calvin was number two, Stafford number one, and he thought that Ndomakin Sue was a top two pick, but he oh. wasn't sure of that. Um, he I think he said, was, I think it was like three or something. I can't remember. I think he was two. Um, I he was two. Okay, yeah. And yeah. then he also said Nottingham Forest for a team that went down a lot and then has come back up. So 20 years out of the Premiership, despite being one of the England's most successful clubs ever. Um, <laughs> and what was also said, Emmett has come in and said, thoughts on Jared Goff. We kind of covered, covered that briefly, but Chris, what, what do you reckon on Goff? Oh, that might be Emmett. I, I, if it's, is it, that, that might be someone I know. Um, <laughs> so I feel you? like a lot. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's totally fine. I, I like him. Um, Jared Goff is, I, I'm fascinated in how quickly I think some Lions fans have just completely dismissed Jared Goff. I'm not going to be sitting here and saying he took a team to the Super Bowl. But at the same time, we've seen a lot of careers turn around. We've seen a lot of people's reputations turn around. And sometimes, and you read how it broke down in Los Angeles, where him and Sean McVay just weren't on the same page then. They weren't even speaking to each other at points. Um, I, I feel like that's important. And I feel like, you know, him having a the complimentary pieces he's used to, short passing games, ground running game, it makes it enticing a little bit. I'm just, I'm not of this mind, like, because I know some Lions fans got really mad because, and I've been of the mind that if Justin Fields hadn't gone to the Bears, Lions fans wouldn't be making a stink about Justin Fields. But I think Jared Goff can do adequately right now which I mean, appeals to me adequate. Um, <laughs> he he's there. There is plenty of room in the NFL for that second, even third tier quarterback. I mean, Ryan Tannehill is not a great quarterback. He still leads the Titans to, you know, several playoffs where he can um, Ryan Fitzpatrick. People love Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't think the guy's good. He just falls off in December like hell. Um, but 
the league still has room for him. Guys like Jared Goff, you you can if if you if you take the time, you can maybe redevelop him. It's a massive downgrade from Stafford. Don't get me wrong, but I it just just the way I see Lions fans talk about him as if he's going to go out there and throw like you know, Jameis Winston interception numbers is just mind boggling to me. It's like what what is this like? And I feel like for that, it's just not a lot of people are watching Rams football. Or maybe they were and they were just kind of taking away from it. But that's kind of the that's the fun and the danger of the offseason is you've you've formed your narratives. You're going to hug to them to death until you actually get some data in the form of actual games being played. I, I, one thing for me about Goff is that I do think that he and Kirk Cousins are sneakily similar, as in they are both slightly above average quarterbacks who, yeah, who need a little that. bit of carrying on their team that they both blow really hot and cold. When Kirk Cousins is on a roll, he looks elite, and he just has too many moments where he gets rattled in the pocket because the pass rush is there, much like Goff, who, you know, when he's getting rushed, he panics. He panics big time, and that's why he needs a good offensive line, and that's why the Rams are so good when they were able to run the ball well, because he wasn't under that sort of pressure. If he's not pressured, he is a borderline elite quarterback. Yeah, and listen, Jared Goff is only like what he's twenty five, I believe. Um, I'm just 25, 26, 20, like 26, 26. He's twenty six. That's still really young for the NFL. Um, this is a guy who at California looked like he had at Cal Berkeley looked like he had all the tools out there. Um, you just have to take a chance on that sometimes. And I, I guess, I guess the question is, at the end of the day, is like I just don't understand. We're kind of caught in this kind of trap sometimes as Lions fans. It's like we we've we've been away from a rebuild so long we just don't know what a what a what a bad year is going to look like. Even though there's been some terrible years, but we don't know what a year is where it's like we're trying to retool everything. And so you're kind of caught between like, okay, but you know we're going to be bad this year, but Jared Goff is bad, so that's a problem. Okay, well wait, wait hold up a second, hold up a second. Which is it? What are we doing here? Um, but at the same time, I just, I don't know. I, I try not to completely dismiss people out of hand because people were doing that to Jared Allen um, for multiple years. And look what's happened to Jared Allen. I don't see an explosion like Jared, like Jared Goff has, but it's not unknown to watch guys come back in the second half of their 20s and completely change the game. Even Stafford, we love Stafford right now. Stafford, I thought up until about 2015 or 2016, was really careless with the ball sometimes just would not protect it. You'd see him make these weird throws or like the ball would come out of his arm with a little bit of pressure in a very weird way. Or he'd always have some sort of weird, he'd have problems in the red zone. We, we've dismissed all of that now because we've seen elite play out of Stafford, but these guys take time to develop. They can change. It just might be a new coach or, and I, I, I'm not saying Jared Goff is going to get the magic wonder pill coming here and working with Mark Brunel, but I, I, I guess for me, it's a little bit of patience right now, especially with this year needing patience with this Lions team. Well, it, it seems to me that pocket passes really mature in like years seven through 11. I mean, deep into that second contract is when you really see some growth from these guys. If you've got you know, athletic quarterbacks that can get outside the pocket and run with their legs, then their their floor is so much higher in their rookie contract because they don't have to be good with their arm, even though they can be okay. But a, a true pocket passer, I mean, 
you could see it with Manning and Brady and, and Stafford. You know, Stafford is really a pocket passer. He can get out of the pocket a bit. Mm-hmm. I loved watching him pass on the run. I, I thought he was absolutely fantastic later on in his career doing that. But the pocket passes take a long time to get there. And people do forget that. I think you're absolutely right. I'm going to move on to the final question we have before moving on to the news because we have just chatted and chatted and I've loved it. But we should we should get there. So um, Carl on Twitter said, as they, uh, I think he means they as in us, the Royal the Lions guys, are fans of all uh, different EPL teams, Premier League teams, referring to me and three guys mm-hmm. not on the podcast. Um, who is the Lions equivalent uh, equivalent in the English Premier League? Who, who would the Lions be if they were a Premier League team? Which is a really hard question, I think. Yeah, because as we just said, they wouldn't have relegated a few times. So, I mean, pick your poison. Um, my problem is, again, as I said, like I've, I've watched plenty of Serie A lately. Um, but for whatever reason, like it's even become harder since I moved to California to watch Premier League because it comes on at like six in the morning out here. Um, and NBC seems to be putting it more and more into streaming services, which we just don't. And they're saying, hey, you got to pay for this. And I'm like, oh, great, fine fine um but let's see let's see so i mean it's funny because i see a lot of the liverpool connections when it comes to just both being sold as blue collar towns but i feel like when it comes to teams like liverpool that's a lot more true when it comes to the fan base michigan likes to talk about its blue collar but there's a lot of fans who just come from like the suburbs and everything too um i have a name in mind definitely I don't know about you. I mean, guys, I, I I'm drawing blanks unless I just say like West Brom Albion or or um or I think or, that'd be a good shout. Uh, or just I'm I'm trying to think of any kind of teams that have been fluttering near like flirting with relegation every now and then, but still manage to just cling around and every now now and then puts on like 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 Newcastle or something like uh, and, Newcastle and or West Brom team in the league as well. I have Southampton. Yeah, I think Southampton would be good too. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what about the rest of you, Ryan and what do you think? I put Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace. Oh, Crystal Palace, really? Yeah, they never do anything. They never do anything. Seasons by the skin of their teeth, <laughs> but sometimes they really upset someone. They, they get relegated every now and then, and they never do anything special for a long time. It's been a long time since they've won anything. Yeah, I, I remember when NBC first got the rights to Premier League over here. I don't think Crystal Palace was in the Premiership at that point. They actually got promoted a year or two into the NBC, and I'm like, who are these guys? And then they just, <laughs> yeah, as you say, just kind of stuck around by the skin of their teeth. Uh, Dan suggests West Ham. Uh, I think they're doing too well right now for that but i think mm. maybe before this season that would be true i also had watford in mind i thought watford were a mm. good comp i mean i i could even maybe say everton and that they're just kind of like in this weird kind of because i i would imagine the north is kind of analogous to our to our midwest and everton again hangs around doesn't really do anything too great but is also completely overshadowed by other people and that would be like yeah the packers the bears would then be the liverpool out there yeah, yeah, I, I definitely see that comment. Right. Let's let's dive into a little bit of news. So first up, Tori Petri recently, shortly after our previous podcast announced she she was leaving the Lions after seven years. Uh, she had an emotional goodbye on her Instagram. I actually watched it about five hours ago just to ensure that I had seen it. And I got emotional. I don't know why I got emotional. It's something about watching someone very nearly cry several times just gets me going it doesn't really matter what it is but Tor- tory has a special place i think in most lions fans hearts uh the outpouring of 
empty hands, <laughs> um, I think, from some people in Detroit uh, and some people, in, especially on Facebook, which is just a cesspool of awfulness. I, I can't stand Facebook for any sort of NFL stuff. It's, it's terrible. But there was a, mm -hmm. a big outpouring. You guys, we're, we're going to miss her, right? Yeah, well, I'll let those guys go. I need to go grab the charger for this thing. I left it. it while I was trying to find better Wi-Fi. So I'll be right back. I'm terribly sorry. Yeah, it's, I, th I think it's sad that she's going, but I think if anyone's earned the right to, you know, go off to bigger and better things, I think what she's done over the years with the Lions is, you know, she's earned the right to do this. So you wish her nothing but the best of luck going forward and hope that someone good comes along in her place. No, I agree. She's moving on to bigger and better things. She's given up a lot of her life for Detroit because, like I say, from what we see on social media, her and her partner are, are apart in different places. She spends a lot of her time and has devoted time to Detroit, so now she's hopefully going to do something which can hopefully improve her social and personal life while she's still enjoying work. So we're going to miss her massively. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be weird. Like, she's fronted a lot of the coverage that I've seen as a fan since I started supporting the team. So to me, she is like one of the faces of the team. It's really weird, especially as there's kind of no face of the franchise player anymore. Her goings like, who is left? Who is left? Uh, but anyway, right, let's let's move on to a few of the players' news. So defensive tackle Joel Heath, the day after we recorded our last podcast, he suffered a torn ACL and is out for the season. As a replacement, the Lions have signed nose tackle Brian Price, formerly of the Packers, among other teams. I checked on Pro Football Reference. He's played at most 15% of the defensive snaps in a year, and he did that once he broke 10% once so I would imagine boys that he's going to be behind Penasini in the in the depth chart and a few people think that Penasini perhaps is a bit iffy in there you know if the nose tackle isn't going to be on the field very much say 40% of the time as the starter then how, how often is Penasini getting on the field so for me that's a camp body and pretty much nothing more what do you reckon it'll um yeah, Pen Penasini and McNeil will go in as the nose tackles. This is just a like-for-like swap. But obviously, you don't like to see players get injured. This is a year where everyone's got a chance to prove themselves for the rebuild going forward. And you don't want to see a guy injured, you know, before training camps even started. So, you know, hopefully he gets better quick, you know, gets another chance further down the line. But yeah. Penasini's earned the right to be in that squad next year. Yeah, and I, I think I think the thing too is that I mean Lions go out and get Aleem McNeil in the draft. Who I mean he's going to be a rookie, but he should probably slot in right away when it comes to nose tackle. It kind of creates uh, some upward pre some downward pressure from there. And Penasini, I, I tell people all the time, like I, I don't think we uh, we estimate well enough how much when a new GM and a new coach comes in, like it, it does reset everything back to zero. And we see some great work from Penasini in the past, but it was with a different scheme with a different coach, but it's also, as you say, I think it's just a camp body. I, I, I were, I, I dislike sometimes talking about the roster too much after UDFAs. Cause I feel like we're just worrying too much about this and that when it's just, as you say, it's camp bodies. Like you, this is, this is a sport that, you sign up to 90 guys in the off season and then you're kind of cut close to half of them before the season actually starts. And for some of them, especially down that depth chart, it's, it's trying to see what you have, but at the same time, um, when you get, if, if you were ever in a position where you'd have to play Penasini, it's a position where something's gone wrong. Cause it would mean McNeil is hurt. 
How about you, Ryan? What do you reckon? Yeah, like I say, it's going to be a bit of a just uh, a guy to go up against, a training body, someone to line up against with, someone drills. Like they're just taking a flyer on him, really. Like I say, it was unfortunate this time last year. As soon as the draft ended, we lost Jay Sean Cornell straight, like the defensive tackle to an ACL injury. So it's awful timing for someone to get hurt so soon. Like it really does put a dampener on the start of camp. So hopefully he gets back quickly. But yeah, I can't see him doing anything. It won't even be on a roster bubble cut. He just he'll expect to work out a few weeks and then move on. Yeah. Uh, the numbers got announced for all the players in the interim as well. Prada Detroit did put a nice little list of all of the numbers in sequential order. So that was that was useful. A couple of things that jump out to me straight away is that number one and number two are cornerbacks. Like, okay. If you want, I mean, that's more of a college thing, right? Is a kind of uh, <laughs> fashionable to have a single digit for a corner. Yeah, the number change has been one of the weirder things the NFL did. I understand it completely. Um, it it's it, it's going to take some getting used to at the end of the day. Although corners have changed so dramatically in the culture of the NFL, they're almost become the premier uh, defensive player. Um, and you, you saw that when they just started jawing at each other back in like the early 2010s, when it was first, it was Revis talking about Revis Island. And then you had, um, uh, oh my God, why am I blanking on his name? Seahawk, um, Seahawk, Seahawk, Seahawk. Um, who's that? Yeah. I'm thinking, don't you ever talk about me? Um, that, that guy, why am I blanking on the damn name? That's okay. And. This is why I usually have like Google in front in front of me. <laughs> Ever talk about this is this is this is the this is the key for podcasting is if you don't know what you're talking about, um, a fall about Jesus Christ. Richard, um, it was Richard Sherman. Sherman, God, why was oh, I why was I blanking so hard that yeah? So like yeah, Revis, Richard Sherman, guys going back and forth, Darius Slay. They they are. It is a personable position. It is a position that now we used to love sacks, but now it, it, it feels like sacks kind of come from wherever versus a premier edge rusher. But corner, when he picks off a guy and goes back the other way, that's exciting as hell. And we just saw how much everyone loved Darius Slay. So if they want to pick a single digit number, I am almost cool. I'm, I'm cool with that yeah. um, at the end of the day, uh, just because it's, it, it is, uh, again, it's, it's a position that has that pizzazz to it. You've really kind of, and defense always defense has always kind of felt slighted in today's NFL. They always feel like they're working against the rules. So if they want to grab a single digit number. I, I think I understand that. The question is, Matt, which one are you going to buy first of the new jersey? Ooh. Oh, I, I've invested in three jerseys in the past like four months. So I probably should stop the addiction now. Otherwise, I'll just never stop. Like, I think one of my podcasting like aims is to when i move house probably six months from now have a kind of office room that is entirely lined with lions jerseys that would be really cool um <laughs> oh who do i want i mean i like i like going for guys who are going to be with the team longer term and the Golladay one was just because it was on offer for like 30 dollars and i was like ah, i'll have a Golladay jersey for 30 dollars even though it's leaving that's fine um if Tracy Walker gets another contract, I'd be very tempted by that. Um, I don't know. I took Swift recently with a jersey, and I'm already regretting it just because running backs rarely get a second contract. 
Um, yeah, jerseys are so hard because of that, right? Like I, we, we even have a couple guys who started like Jersey rental services in America <laughs> for like, hey, just in case your guy gets traded or something, you have Jersey insurance or yeah, something. But then you can't burn it. So what's no, the then you part? can't burn it. That's <laughs> <laughs> you got it down. You got it down right away. Yeah. Um, no, I think I think um, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I like finding weird numbers. I'm probably going to get a Sewell jersey as soon as I get money again. I'm, I'm presuming it is Jeremy watching. I'm not sure, but someone on Pride of Detroit has just said anything that gets Tom Brady mad is okay in my book. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Tom Brady, Tom Brady, who has had like the lock on two for a very long time, and all of a sudden people are butting in. I also think Tom Brady just was trying to get his name out there. At the end of the day, it's like, oh, people haven't talked about me for five seconds. So excuse me, let me put down this orange juice and the and the blood spin cycle and get back out here and just uh, you know raise a stink. I think Tom Brady knows his his audience. Tom Brady understands his audience. He's 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 smart. He's a smart bastard. I don't know whether this is particularly unfair, but I feel like Tom Brady is Lance Armstrong, who stayed just the right side of the line. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's good, because I was going to say, actually, another great comp is that is probably Peyton Manning. Um, we've all kind of very quickly buried all of Peyton Manning's skeletons very quickly. Yeah, and he had a few of those. <laughs> Yeah, but I remember when like he had people like bullying Al Jazeera journalists for how dare you talk about me with PEDs. And we never really got to the bottom of that. That just went away very quickly because Manning's a royalty. Yeah. But yeah, yeah as you say, Brady, Brady is definitely nobody's questioning uh, what Brady is doing down there in Tampa. And let me tell you, as an American, uh, a lot of good juice in in Florida. You can find a lot of good. If, 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 if your body's not feeling well, just hop on down to Florida. You can find plenty of doctors. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Moving on with the news. And Michael Brockers is expected to attend OTAs this week. That was a point, uh, piece by Jay Riz at Lionswire saying that, which is good news. Apparently, he was away for the first three days because of family matters. So hopefully, they will be resolved. I think that getting a bit of chemistry with that D-line when he's going to be the senior guy on there and a couple of rookies alongside him. He's going to be an absolutely massive piece and needs to be with those guys as soon as possible. So positive news, boys, on that front. I thought it was because they'd just finished wrapping up filming Thor today, hadn't they? And, you know, he wields the Thor of Hammer and everything. So I thought it might be to do with that. <laughs> they not filming. Yeah. Probably not far wrong. Right, um, Todd Gurley visited the Lions on day three of OTAs. So that was a few days ago now. He seems to have left without a deal. There continues to be rumours that he might be offered one because he hasn't visited anywhere else yet. And please, will you visit somewhere else? I think it was mentioned on the POD cast yesterday uh, that, you know, things would quieten down if he just visited somewhere else. If we were doing him a courtesy of getting his name out there, it hasn't fucking worked. So, I mean, the, the, the thing that Jeremy said actually about him becoming like one of the first player coaches, I thought was like, obviously a joke, but sneakily brilliant. Like, he's been there and done it at the biggest stage. And while quarterback wins are not a thing, running back production, I, it does depend obviously on a lot on the O-line, but it's, you can't trade for experience. And I, I, I mean this only semi-realistically. I don't mean it at all for us, but seeing a guy at that level retire and become a coach young, I don't think has happened before. I don't recall it happening before, but 
no, could be a premier the, guy for that. The Lions are loaded with former players who um, who have turned into coaches. Like I think what was it Calvin Johnson the other day just did an interview where he he even remembers playing with Dan Campbell. And he was even saying like this guy was playing with like one arm out there and like still just a tough son of a. And uh, the thing with Gurley though is like God, I I don't believe players in the NFL get yips, but there's really nothing else to describe what has happened to Todd Gurley basically since the second half of that Rams season when they went to the Super Bowl. Something turned off for him, and it just sucks. It it, it really sucks. I remember watching him in college, and I thought this guy is going to be insanely good. He's just he's got everything there. He is a premier running back, and I think. The visit was partly because Brad Holmes is just trying to do him a solid. But also, again, there's plenty of teams out there who understand what Todd Gurley was and are just desperately trying to figure out what went wrong, what 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 caused the switch to flip off, and and how can we turn it back on for the guy? Because he clearly wants to play. He's clearly, clearly capable of playing. It's just... I just, I don't, it, it, it baffles the mind sometimes. And, and again, like once you get a bad reputation in the NFL, fans will hold it against you. And I saw plenty of fans like mad at the very idea that we would even talk to Todd Gurley, which is, I mean, again, if you don't like the guy, then that's fine. But he'd be coming in for a third string job. And I don't think he would take snaps away from your running backs. And if so, like, what does it matter? Because the quickest way to burn down a running back in the NFL is to just give them the ball every snap like they did with uh, with excuse me with Le'Veon Bell in 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 Pittsburgh like you you don't want to run these guys into the ground you kind of want to diversify i don't know what Todd Gurley would really do for you but i mean there there's probably competition for the third string right now um you could come in and just you see what you got with Jeremiah Jefferson but I, I don't know. I just Todd Gurley was always a fascinating one for me. But again, it was one of those things where I said that um, I think people were overreacting a little bit too much on the idea as if we had already signed him. Ryan, what do you reckon on Todd? I think, unfortunately, as a player, I think he's washed. I think he will never relive those glory days. The injuries have taken a toll. He reminds me a little of like what happened to Trent Richardson. Like he mm, just yeah. happened. He looked fantastic. He was going to be the next big thing. He had that rookie season. For some reason, he was traded. And then everything, it just like, he just, he just shut down. Like things just didn't go his way from now on. Like Gurley could make a fantastic coach. Yeah. He's probably going to land somewhere, like, say, as a rotational third or fourth back. He's got the desire, like, you say, he's trying to look after himself, like, say. So hopefully, like, say, if this was just doing him a solid, showing his fit, getting his name out there. Hopefully he's picked up somewhere, but it's been a meteoric fall from grace, unfortunately. I do wonder if he actually gets picked up, to be honest. And what do you reckon on Todd Gurley? Um, for me, it comes down to, I just put his injury history aside. For me, we don't need him because we've got two, let's say, premier running backs. Williams can be a running back one. He's a very good, you know, he's done really well behind Jones at Green Bay. He's got a lot of yardage, even despite being the second guy there. He can be our first guy. Swift can be our first guy. So that's your two top places locked up. They're going to take the vast majority of your carries. So there's nothing for Gurley there. And you know my views on Jamar Jefferson. I really like him. He's got blocking ability. He's got the ability to get those gritty yards, which you need from your third down back. So I'm taking him as my third third down back and giving him an opportunity. 
And, you know, if he doesn't work out, we've still got Dedrick Mills and Rakeem Boyd, you know, on the UDFA signings to come in and provide some more depth. I just don't want snaps taken away from the rookies and I don't want anyone getting in the way of Swift and Williams. So for me, we just don't need him. Yeah, I mean, so I'm glad he's not come. For me, the biggest problem with him is that I think we've seen his ceiling and I'm not sure. Sorry. Yeah, seen his ceiling and I'm not sure he can ever hit it again. I think he can be a productive running back, but I do not think he can ever hit the heights that he hit before. If you have a look at San Francisco, they put almost no money into running back and they get terrific production from someone. But I think if you put Gurley into that system, you'd find that he would produce pretty much the same as he would anywhere else. I don't think that he could actually do that because I think he's lost a little something that limits where his ceiling is. Whereas if you bring in a UDFA, you don't know what he is, and you'll probably get slightly less than you would if you bring in Todd Gurley. But there's that small chance that they break out and are actually very, very good in your scheme. But Gurley does not have that small chance anymore, and so I think it limits his value massively. The Lions also invested draft capital in Jermar Jefferson, and all reports seem to be that they're very high on the kid, that think he could be a third-string starter, a third-string running back too. So it's a lot of competition there. Um, it's just it's funny because there, there's a phrase high that I love, high watermark. Um, and the high watermark for both Gurley and Goff was the same year in Los Angeles. And I think you, you give me the option between the two. Who's more likely to find those glory days again? Jared Goff is infinitely more likely than, than, yeah. than, than, than Todd Gurley. And it's just, it's a sad thing because both those guys like play their, play their ass off. And Gurley has never, this has never been a matter of like a want for desire or work ethic he's he does all of that it's just again it's like the yips for like you know a gol a golfer who suddenly just can't hit it right or a pitcher who can't get his his slider in just right like something has like changed for him it might be the injuries but something has just gone wrong for him and it just it's it that's yeah. when it's the most heartbreaking like i think the trent richardson ryan your trent richardson uh analogy is very on point because i remember like same thing there like just some guys they just drop off and you have no clue why and it just it breaks your damn heart yeah i mean when you said golf is getting the ips i just got thrown back to jean <laughs> van der velt i'm not sure whether that's going to resonate with anyone <laughs> here but hey he, man if the reference is a good home that's all that matters i uh, mean i've done i've done worse I, th I think he was four shots clear at the open in 99 with two holes to play and hit it into the water twice to lose. Oh, it man. was horrific. Anyway, last item on the news list is that we are now past June 1st, so cutting trading players is a lot easier. The Lions aren't expected to be buyers, but they could be sellers. Is there anyone that you think that the Lions might move if they get an enticing enough offer is there anyone you think they might move if they get any offer Tyrell Crosby included even though Crosby's nature didn't change on the 1st of June but what do you reckon is there anyone who could go and let's go for Ant because I want to yeah, let's go to, yeah <laughs> you, you pulled Crosby up to make me mad didn't you? I did <laughs> uh, Chris Ant is uh, his biggest fan Tyrell Crosby's biggest fan <laughs> like by a stretch yeah, I, I mean that's. Yeah, I mean that's that's fine on Crosby. I don't know. Like, I, I I think my problem is like there's so many guys who we we get attached to, especially in the NFL. You get attached to what your roster is. Sometimes I remember arguing 
the roster a few times, some national people. And I was told very quickly, Chris, you're, you're kind of, it's you're, you're in a little too close. You're a little too in the weeds sometimes. So sometimes you do have to pull back and just see what the rest of the NFL is like. Crosby is fine. I understand why people like him. It's, it's kind of like the same thing with Quintez Cephas in my mind. A lot of people are really high up on Quintez Cephas, but that just, he looks for replacement level to me. Um, this, this is always a weird time too, because the overarching thing is, and I'm about to pull out another dated reference, is the old George Carlin um, skit about, you know, other people's stuff is trash to you, but your trash is stuff. Um, this is to say that I don't think the Lions have much they can move at this point. There's not really a lot that's enticing to a lot of people. It's a lot of bad egg contracts and players who have, who are probably on a fringe somewhere that I don't know what, if, if they get rid of anything, it'll be some like weird pieces, but there's no, there's not a, they're not going to like jump a piece where it's like, Oh wow. Okay. Um, especially since, you know, June 1st rec, uh, the June 1st designations are usually about how much you can save some money. And the lions have actually done fairly well right now against the cap compared to some other teams right now. There's at least, you know, there's some teams who haven't been able to sign all of their rookies yet until June 1st. And, you know, I think that was kind of a big thing going into the Julio Jones news was, you know, are the Falcons going to try to move him after June 1st? Um, I just, when it comes to the lions, I just don't see too much happening um, unless they really want to just, it's, it's going to be a piece that you're either going to be like, Oh, okay, cool. Or it's going to be a piece that's going to blow your mind. And I just don't see either one really happening too much. Yeah, so Lions Wire Boys, they they listed possibilities of, and I think they acknowledged that it was slim chance for all of these, but Jamie Collins now would save $2 million against the cap and he would be worth something to a contender perhaps. So you get maybe a slightly higher offer than you might think. But, you know, I, I think this is a if we're committing to a tank and God knows we do not need to do that. But anyway, Trey <laughs> Flowers was there. Tyrell Cosby and Big V Harley Budavati by Tice. So, I guess I guess the thing for me with 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 Flowers is like, but everyone saw he didn't have a good season. Like everyone saw that they saw they saw that this this happen. Like you can't just hide that and say, oh, he's got value to some other team. Like other teams are smart too. They they've seen those uh, those struggles, and I guess it's it's a matter of like, okay, how much value does a former lion really bring to us at the end of the day that we can't find somewhere else? Because you know, again, the math right now, there's 90 men to a roster, plus some floating out, 32 times 32. That's a lot of players just kind of floating around in the ether that no one really needs to be like zoomed in on Jamie Collins if the value just isn't there for those other front front offices. KMR95 has just said he'd love anything for Jelani to buy. I think that was really unfair <laughs> considering what he's done in the past few weeks in terms of slimming down. Ryan, and any any thoughts on this? I don't think we're going to see any movement. No, no, I can't see any movement. Like I said, if they were going to do a trade that was going to be like, meh, it would be Jamie Collins. If it was going to be a blockbuster trade, it'd be Trey Flowers. But with his huge contract and coming off a fractured elbow and broken forearm, a poor season, who's going to touch him? If he has a bad year, Flowers is gone next year. But he, no one's going right now. Sorry? I was just going to say, see, this thing you've just mentioned there about, obviously, Flowers has had a bad year, so it wouldn't be, you know, if he gets traded away, he probably deserves it. But this is the issue I have when it comes 
to the Crosby talk and about trading him away because he actually had a really good year and broke out. And I think this is where sort of maybe the cultures clash between our sports here and your sports there. I think players are readily dispensable, even if they play well, if there's a better option around. But for me, we all said last year's team was full of potential. And if the players all realised that, it would be a really good team. And he was one of the very few players who progressed into a starter role and to just be able to throw him away like that. Just, it just, it's an alien concept really for us. And that's, that's the issue I have with it. If it's yeah, no, I think, I think that's a great difference to be honest. Um, I think, you know, I think part of that too is like NFL rosters turn over at an almost alarming clip. Um, I used to do a show with um, on the weekends with Lincoln Kennedy, former uh, Oakland Raider, you know, he was in a uh, tackle for, for Oakland for a very long time. He was in the infamous tuck rule game against the Patriots um, and still just can't live that down. But he, um, he, he, he would always talk about one of the reasons why he thinks rivalry has kind of died in the NFL is, yeah, you would have guys who would spend 10, 8, 10, 15 years with a single team. They'd, they'd, they'd be there their entire time. Now rosters flip so quickly guys are signed to just short contracts that i think we've kind of inured ourselves this idea that there's going to be so much turnover every time and yeah to your point i think sometimes like playing together really helps at the end of the day and i think uh it 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 it, it but but we're also at a um a crossover to a new to a new regime to a new coaching staff and that's always kind of when the bodies pile up sometimes yeah. Um, just guys don't look at it's, it's, it's either schematic fits, which are, again, it's, it's, it's not just the kind of athlete you have, but scheme matters so much when it comes to American football that just some guys for no fault of their own, just go on the outs. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what Aaron Glenn is installing yet. We're, we're all kind of like sifting the tea leaves here. So I guess, yeah, like, again, it's, it's back to what's trash and what's stuff. Yeah. Right, we have run on a little bit longer than I thought we would, and we still have a little bit to get through. So I'm going to just take us into a very quick two and a half minute break. Mm. That's okay with you boys, and we'll resume back in just a short while, but we'll see you in a minute. Welcome back to the Rural of the Lands UK podcast, and we're going to go into the coaches' presses now. These are the ones which happened just after OTAs have finished. We went through the ones that happened just after rookie minicamp in our last podcast. And these ones were taken by a few of the players, some draft picks, um, and then there was Dan Campbell and Aaron Glenn as well. So I watched it all. I don't know about you guys. It's actually illuminating. It's the first time I've actually made an effort to watch the presses in full, all of them. And the insight is so much more than you can see on tape and what the Lions kind of put out there in their social media. It's it's skimming the search. You, you learn nothing from their social media, really. Uh, but from, from the press conferences, I'm going to start with Penny Saul. And he said he kind of feels like a freshman in college again. Uh, that he's kind of just trying to be as much of a sponge as he can and soak everything up. He's trying to learn how to be a pro by just shadowing the vets that are in there. Um, he spoke about why he picked 58, that his dad wore it in high school and that he wanted to honor his father. Uh, he was kind of really glad that Jamie Collins gave it up for him, uh, that he was going to be harassing him if he didn't, <laughs> which I thought was really um, endearing. 
Uh, he said he felt great after having caught COVID, so that's a, a really good thing. Um, he's kind of shaking the rust off. He's glad to be playing the sport he loves after so long out of the game. He's been, you know, a year and a half since he's played a down of football. Um, he opted out. He clarified why he opted out. So he didn't opt out because of COVID, or rather he opted out because of COVID's impact on the Pac-12. And then when they reinstated their season, there was very little point in playing on. It was a very, it was a very short season. It was like five regular season games or something. It was a very, very, very weird timeline for the Pac-12. Yeah. Uh, risk of injury high, prestige zero. So no brainer. Um, he said that moving from left tackle to right tackle is not easy and it's a whole different feel. And he remembers Hank Fraley from his recruiting process in high school and, and Hank being there and then kind of shuffling off after the day was done. I think they really talked, but that he kind of remembered him very well from, from that process. So Penay, boys, um, obviously our first round draft pick and you can see how excited the, the front office were to get him and I'm so excited by him having watched his press conferences. Clearly got a level head on his shoulders. I don't think it's entirely... He was asked why he didn't get the vaccine, effectively, which I think is a bit below the belt, but he kind of didn't really answer the question either, so that's interesting. But then I guess our other tackle is also interesting on that point. Um, how are you guys feeling about Penesel? I think his, his attitude is spot on for what you want. And he's exactly the type of guy you want to come in. He's obviously motivated. He's very talented. And, you know, he's one of those guys who's like first guy in last guy out. And you know, you're going to get your all from him. Um, I just worry for him a little bit and not really because of him, but because of the expectation on him. We obviously had a little chat about this a few weeks back when we were talking about the draft picks and there's so much expectation on him this year. One, because everyone's expecting the offensive line to be absolutely amazing and to not give up any sacks. You know, they think that we're just about there with it. But too, like he said, his positional change is huge. He's not played right tackle for years. So you've seen what's happened with TJ and Akuda after their bad first years. Everyone's jumped all over them, have been hypercritical, even though TJ's second year has been amazing. I just really hope he comes in and has a great year and just doesn't get any of the same treatment those two did. But going by his attitude and the way he's going about it, I think he's in a good position to do so. And he's with a good group of guys to help him succeed. How about you, Ryan? You feel the same? No, I agree, yeah. I like the fact he's level-headed. He's admitting that moving back to right tackle isn't easy. He was never going to put us under any false impressions that it was going to be an easy switch. There's still a lot of debate about what people think we should do with him. For me, it makes total sense to have a, give him at least one year at right tackle. If he can't do it, then next year have the conversation with Decker, possibly swap sides. But, like you say, but for right now, he's trying his best to learn it. He's going to be a team player, which is something massive. He could have thrown his toys out the pram and said, no, I want to be a left tackle. That's where I'm the best. Put me there. But he's just such a nice down-to-earth kid who cares so much about his family. Like his tradition, everything, it means the world to him. So you can just see he's happy to be here. So he's, he's going to be a great addition to his line. It's going to be a real family, I think. Samoan families are just such, it's a, it's a very big, very important thing to the culture. I actually studied with, um, part of my senior project was working with a Samoan pro wrestling family. And it's, it, it, uh, 
it definitely comes through. I, I find it funny. He says he feels like a freshman in college again. This is a freshman who was 17 years old and got to start on the offensive line for Oregon. So I think that might still be a little bit high of a bar for him. Uh, there'll be some adjustment. As you guys say, Like it's, it's kind of funny on how quickly we forget guys are rookies. Rookies take time in the NFL. If he's adapting, then he's going to try to adapt. And again, he's had a year off from football, no fault of his own, but that's going to take some time to get back used to and in there. And you're learning right tackles. So I'm not going to set expectations crazy high. This is going to be a weird year for a lot of pe- for a lot of rookies just because of all the opt-outs because of all the expectations because of so many so much turnovers and for the Lions in particular a first year coaching staff coming in here to really just put things back together when the when the system before this was hey let's uh let's rotate this offensive line a lot it's like nobody does that um as far as the covid vaccine i i know that's like such a busybody thing but I don't know, like shit. I got I got the vaccine, but that was my choice at the end of the day. Um, I think there's a lot that goes into these vaccines right now on where people are thinking about them that like even when Taylor Decker said he didn't get the vaccine, people wanted to just pounce on him. It's just I think people are too quick to judge right now. And um, I, I think the best way if someone is hesitant on the vaccine is just not to shove it down their throat. I, I understand why they're asking these questions, but I don't think um, you're going to get necessarily the right answers back and i mean especially in america here too like i think that the age requirements for some of these things and availability keeps changing so i mean who knows at the end of the day so i mean there's a big sort of libertarian tradition in in a lot of america and i mean I, i kind of resonate with that a bit as long as the whole thing is effective. So I, I, yeah, I don't I, really want to get too political, but the vaccine's going to work as long as 70% of the adult population gets vaccinated. So I'm a libertarian as long as at least 70% of you get it. People, But people people at, like a, at, a, at a primordial level, and maybe Americans at a primordial level, just don't like being told what to do sometimes. And if it's a little, and it can be a little overbearing sometimes. So I think like, I would like to see everyone get the vaccine, but I'd like, you know, let's I, I don't want to crush guys for not getting the vaccine, no. I guess. No, I mean, the thing is, if yeah. you ask the question, you're doing it because you are a horribly clickbaity person who wants a headline. <laughs> you're not. You're, I mean, and, and what is news for? Right. It's to generate clicks, to generate profits to your owner. And that's fine. You're doing your job. But it's a horribly shitty thing to do. Um, <laughs> that's my opinion on it. But there we go. I don't want to. Have I got the media too much because they're just doing a job? But it does feel a bit cheap. No, it's it, it's a weird relation. It was like we, again, we just talked about a soccer earlier. Like it, it's yeah. a weird relation sometimes, and it's something we always in journalism kind of combat all the time. It's it's something it's it's good to have that kind of introspection. But yeah, not, not to get too lost in the weeds there. Yeah, just to, we Carlos spoke about rubbish. What was that? Unless you're Carlos and he just writes rubbish. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I mean, NFL's had some of that. Thankfully, not around the Lions in recent years. Um, but I remember there was a story about that guy who was the Jets beat writer for a long time, Manish Mehta. Who uh, um, you want some fun stories about him? Go look up what he was doing to some of the people in the Jets front office. Horrible human being. But yeah, yeah. Um, just to kind of tease next week, we hopefully fingers crossed. I think I have it. We have Austin Gale coming on the pod next week, who is the director of content at PFF, and he's the host of the Two for One Drafts podcast. Uh, super stand-up guy. If I can keep up with him in terms of the words per minute, I will be astounded because that man can't speak. 
But he, he spoke on his podcast a couple of days ago about the fact that rookies, and especially offensive linemen, get thrown to the wolves in every year, like no other position in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, these guys are going to look much, much worse, and people will jump on them after year one. And I've just found it interesting that he wasn't referencing Saul when he was speaking about this. It was just a general point. But it's especially applicable here. With the with the move, with the COVID opt-out, Saul is not going to be good, especially in the first half of the year. He might be good towards the back end of the year, but I do not see him shaking off enough rust to actually be a upper-level tackle in this league. I will take average for the first six or seven games. I really, really will. I think it's not fair to expect more. Yeah, he, he's a wild card at the end of the day. Again, like kids started at 17 for Oregon, which is no slouch when it comes to offensive linemen. Like he could be whatever at this point. I'm just, I, 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 I this is why I try not to judge too much and more about writing the story. Like I just, I'm excited and I'll wait to see. Yeah. yeah. All right. Then that's, so, saying, that's my worry there. It's just, you've seen with our last two first round picks, the amount of scrutiny they've been put mm-hmm. under, not through necessarily faults of their own. You've seen the first one rebound back already, you know, give the second one a chance. And, oh know, yeah. Especially cool. since on how long corners take to develop in the league too. Like mm-hmm. people are already wanting to jettison Okuda and it's like, he's a first year corner. What are we doing? It's insane. Especially yeah. since he was carrying an injury. Like there's a logical reason why yeah. he didn't. Yeah. 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 And the senior corners didn't perform, and it was schemed. There was no pass rush. It's, it's really hard when you leave them on an <laughs> island on their own. To, oh, absolutely. I do sympathize. Sorry. I hope it doesn't happen to Saul, just because of the amount of talk about this offensive line. You know, been great this year. So hopefully. Fans are, fans are, fans are impatient right now because I feel like it's, it's, They've had a taste a little bit of what it's like being uh, relevant. And for some of them, it's been a minute. It's been over 10 years since they since they remember uh, not at least trying to at least from the onset compete. So this could be an interesting year as far as fan attitudes. But as long as you keep a level head about some of the rookies, then should be all right. I think the thing is that we've always had the same old Lions crew. We rent reference them earlier <laughs> and they are going to be who they are throughout the whole thing i think the thing about the last two first round picks is that it was quite a large portion of the fan base jumping on them but i don't blame the non-sol guys for that i think that's born out of a desperation of a franchise who's been let down massively by the people they trusted the most in the previous regime who shall not be named anymore i will not talk about them but they they put up our hopes and our ambitions and they let us down in the biggest possible way. And us jumping on our first round picks, I think was no more a reflection of just the desperation of the fans to actually have a good team. And they were upset that they didn't get it. And instead of focusing all of that anger on the GM, they wanted to believe the GM knew what he was doing. And so they focused it on the player, which was tremendously unfair on the player. But I don't blame the fans. I don't. We've suffered so long now. And we were teased with relevancy for a brief second. And now we are. Fans will say whatever fans say. Yeah, it's 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 I, I like to say like Twitter is multitudes. You can find any opinion you want on Twitter, on any kind of social media, on any kind of fan call in line. So like attitudes, I mean, they, they suck. There will always be some bad actors at the end of the day. But yeah, it's anyone can say anything. It's, it's what it is. But. Yeah. Right, let's move on to Jelani Tavai. Uh, he was a fun one. He's always a good guy to have in front of the camera because he's got a natural charisma to him. He's got a, a job in radio, I think, after his career's done, which may be a couple of years. Let's find out. Um, 
Anyway, he said he he lost 17 pounds from his playing weight last year to now, which is an insane commitment considering where he's come from and the fact that the previous regime asked him to get up to that point. Uh, it was highlighted on the POD cast yesterday, you know, that he that wasn't his playing weight at college and he was already slow. So, you know, what are you doing to the poor man? I mean, you haven't exactly put him in the best position for success. Anyway, um, uh, Aaron Glenn has told Tavai, Tavai said that he wants to move him back to stack backer. Um, he was asked whether he's going to feel more comfortable there and he said he's ready for anything. He's excited for everything that's going to come right now and the last two weeks have been great. He's currently around 247 to 250. He can feel the difference in his relative lack of size with his athleticism. Um, he dropped the weight by doing a meal prep plan, not snacking, no late night meals, and just trying to exercise a bit more. Basically what I tried to do, but fail every single time. Um, Mark Delone, the linebacker's coach, said that he just explained what Jelani needed to do to be great, that he's trying to be the the best Jelani to buy that he can give to Detroit. And in terms of what he thought about his future on the roster, he said tomorrow is not guaranteed. So he's just taking it day by day, fighting to improve his craft every day. And he feels like he's got room for improvement, but he's just worried about the near future. Um, and again with Saul, this is a guy who's got a, a good head on his shoulders. He may not be the fastest, but there is something going on upstairs. He's a smart guy. And I'm really pulling for him. He always has a smile on his face. He looks like he's enjoying himself, even when he had a terrible year last year. Ryan, what do you reckon on Jelani? Uh, I'm pulling for him because I was probably pretty harsh on him. Like you say, his lack of his lack of athleticism. I say he often looks like he was running through quicksand, or he had cinder blocks taped to his feet. That's how he played at times. Like he was too slow. And I think he's he's acknowledged that. I think he's realised with the weight cut and the athleticism that he needs to make more of a commitment to his uh, his weight, keeping his size down so he can still be nippy. So I really want him to prove me wrong. I think he's going to have he's got the potential to have the biggest comeback season on the roster. He could be a real fantastic player next year just Ooh. because the bar is really low because fans were so much on his case. So I'm not going to set huge expectations for him, but I think. He's going to certainly uh, make me think second about before I'm too quick to judge him because he's a very likable character. I'm going to cut that out for the socials because that feels like a hot take. Chris, what do you reckon on Jelani? Mm. I, uh, I, my, my, my head's a little empty on him. Uh, like, yeah, it's with everything when it comes to linebacker, it's there's not much at that core right now that is. Uh, to write home about and i feel like you know anything he can prove that he's athletic because i i think a lot of the struggles for him as far as he, he's talking about his weight he's talking about you know getting back down in size too because it's it, it is basically getting away from the old system he, he's ba- I, I mentioned how hard it is with in the nfl with scheme putting guys in the outs devise doing his best to basically show that he can go to the next scheme which is basically hey let's get away from being the uh the big guys that 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 was always prized with um uh with with Patricia. It's about, you know, he wants to be more athletic. Uh good on him. And I hope for the best. I just don't I, I think for him it's just a matter of just making tape for whenever he's out the door and whenever. But uh yeah, I, I think I think he's just you know, he 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 looks in good shape. He looks in good shape. What about you, Ant? 
Well, me and you have both talked about this. There, there's a player in there, and I think that player is starting to come out. You'd have to look at his tape when Matt Patricia left. He got noticeably <laughs> better. And the thing with Matt Patricia is, and we've all we've said this a lot of times now, he wants defenders who do everything. You know, he's he just wanted jack jack of all trade guys. He had him doing this, that, and the other, and they obviously weren't his strengths. When Patricia left and he was just, you know, he was just put in positions to succeed, he got noticeably better. And I think he's just one of these guys who's become sort of a magnet for heat. I mean, the entire linebacking call was horrible last year, but did you hear the same criticism about Collins, about Ragland, Davis to a degree? I think they just picked a guy to pick on, and I think he just didn't work in the system at all. And I think if they utilise him properly this time, yeah, he'll be a backup to start with, for sure. But if they can get the best out of him, now he's dropped his weight, I think there's a player there that can be saved. And I think he needs to be given a chance to do so because everyone goes on about scheme, players not fitting from the previous regime. I think it's going to be the other way around with him. He's going to fit a regime now, whereas he didn't belong before. So, yeah, I'm pulling for him. I hope he gets the chance and I'll die on the hill that there is a player in there, a good one that can be saved. Yeah, I, I completely agree. The biggest thing about Tavai is just the disappointment that a second-round pick didn't work out. He's never going to be a second-round caliber guy. He's just not. But like you said, he did get noticeably better from his pretty poor floor uh, when Patricia left. And, you know, he was asked to kind of think about this and think about that and think about that and, and then instinct here. And it's like that you hear about the, the scheme being, no, we're going to simplify for these guys so they can play fast. Well, if you can allow Tavai to play bar fast on his instincts, I do think there's something there. So... Fingers crossed on that point. Let's move on to Deion. I will say, can I yeah. just make a final point? The Lions did to Tavai what they did to Eric Ebron. They took them too high when no one expected it. We put a huge target on his back. Expectations were too far too steep for them. And then, like I said, they couldn't live up to them. These players oh, don't ask to be taken that high. Tavai yeah. didn't expect to go in the second round. Ebron shouldn't have been anywhere near the first. But we 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 did this to them. And then, like you say, then we have to, we've got the nerve and the cheek to then get on their case when they don't deliver. So we do make a rod for our own back at times. Well, there's always a player taken afterwards who you say, oh, we could have had him instead. And it was, wasn't that DK's draft year? Yeah. Yeah. I think. And everyone's like, well, you could have had DK when we got to Latavai. Yeah, you're right in what you say. Yeah. Right. DeAndre Swift, he said he has been working specifically on his full body strength to make a second-year leap. He can definitely see himself taking an expanded role in the passing game. He said that Anthony Lynn has said that he's a versatile guy, can be used throughout the offense. See him and Jamal as very complimentary backs. He said that he would be happy if Todd Gurley arrived with his knowledge, experience, competition. Um, he said that the competition is going to bring out the best in everyone. You've got to earn your way onto the team, and he's not taking anything for granted. He said that he's getting a good rapport with Jared so far, that Jared's a natural leader, loves being around him. In terms of whether Goff or Stafford throws a more catchable football, he said it's a football, you catch it the same way. In terms of Deuce Staley, he said he's got the knowledge, he's really excited to learn from him, he's got the sort of energy and the, the sort of coach that you want to play for. And on the offensive line, he said that he thinks it's going to get better, that it's going to take him to the next level when he specifically picked out uh, picked out the three guys um frank decker and 
Pale Pudivati Vaishai as guys that he's going to be able to run behind. So that last name surprised me. Uh, it feels like every single guy in the organization is expecting Vaitai to really rebound. And pretty much everyone outside it is waiting for that moment. Um, let's start with Chris. DeAndre Swift, what do you reckon on, on what he's saying there in terms of his focus, in terms of what he thinks about competition, do you stay lead? I think it's I think it's what you kind of expect him to say at this point. I, I, I wanted to say on Vitide, like we we um we've it's kind of the same deal with injuries, right? There was a lot that was going on last year that maybe put Vitai in a hole with fans that he didn't really deserve to be in. So I'm I'm willing to give him a mulligan on that and see what he is this year, especially since he's going to be that that you know solid starting guard, not getting moved around too much and you know, for first off, second year now playing guard and also like coming off a lot of the injuries. So, but I mean, I think Swift understands that he's going to make some good buck behind this offensive line if if it uh, if it delivers on its promise, just because it's going to open up a lot of things. And I think Swift also understands that um, it's it's a different it's a different type of team that he's on now, but it's also a team that absolutely needs him. Uh, I think we had the conversation on whether or not he break a thousand yards for this for a season on a podcast or two a while back. And I could see that maybe happening because of the extended schedule, but we haven't had one of those lions. Haven't had one of those since Barry Sanders. It, it, uh, it Swift has to understand the pressure that's on him, especially now, as you say, he's, he's playing with golf and they're going to use him to all of his degrees. He might even fit better with golf than Stafford just because Stafford, you know, had, he was either tight ends or, or go deep. Um, whereas for Swift, I think he's, he's going to slot right in a way that we probably haven't seen in a minute. Um, he's at the top of this, this, this pile. And I think he understands the expectations that are on him as lions running back to finally break out of this malaise they've been in. And even, even just that, like he's also probably, I mean, you look at who the lions have picked for running backs lately and just how some of them have bombed out. Um, and we know we, we, we talk about, he's not Amir Abdullah. He's not carry on Johnson, but he was kind of picked in the same range as those guys. And he's just, I, you just, you, we, we talk about how much fans are probably putting hopes on some of these guys, maybe, especially when you're saying, you know, for Tavai on getting maybe drafted a little too high. Deandre Swift is a second round running back for a team that has burned the last two running backs that they drafted in the second round. Um, there, there's a lot on him right now. He's, he's number one. As he's he's a sophomore in the NFL, and he is the number one premier running back, and he has Jamal Williams behind him, and then God knows who as the third string. Like he's he's gonna be, it's it's time to make the money in in a pretty rough in in, in just his second year. So I, I think he knows it's it's kind of uh, make or break for him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what do you reckon on DeAndre? Um. I love him. I love his attitude. I love the way that he adapts to situations. Ever since he came here last year, that drop catch against the Bears, I mean, that could have ruined many a rookie. That could have just completely dented the confidence. But, I mean, after that, you know, his catching improved noticeably. He bounced back from it. He slowly worked Adrian Peterson out of the team. You know, he got more reps. He did more with them. So he showed his willingness to come in and fight for his spot and rightfully earn it. 
And I think with Jamal Williams here this year, we're in a really good position with these two because don't forget Jamal Williams is trying to show that he can be running back number one after spending so long behind Aaron Jones. And he still has 4,000 scrimmage yards at Green Bay despite being the clear second guy. So he's going to be fighting for the number one spot. Swift's going to be fighting for it. I think the competition is going to drive them both on to do better things. But from everything I've seen of him, when he's challenged with something, he steps up. So, you know, I really like what the future of this running backfield is. And I think even if Williams starts week one, and I wouldn't have an issue with that, I really do rate him that high. I think he could start. I don't think it's the end for him. I just think it's going to be a really good competition where they're going to bring the best out of one another. And it'll be for the betterment of this team because, obviously, we're going to be running it a fair bit. Yeah, we really are. And that's, that's going to be a focus of the team, I think. Ryan, what do you reckon? I agree. I think the success of this running game won't come down to either back. It's going to be how they work as a tandem. They could be coming off each player. You could be rotating them on every down. Like Those two are going to have to get on a wavelength between them. They're going to have to understand, like, say that right now it's 1A, it's 1B, as far as I'm concerned. Like, Williams has got, like, say, a lot of experience in, like, his workload. He's able to offer that, like, say, that catch out the back. So he's going to be able to hopefully push Swift to that next level. I, I do like the fact that Swift is very coy about the question of who put the more catchable pass. He batted it away with a very clever response. So he's got, he's got IQ. He was never going to throw anyone under the bus or throw any shade at anyone. I also like the fact that he appreciates what Gurley could offer him when I can't. Like, he gets what <laughs> he could learn from him when I think God, Gurley has no place here. But I like to think that he thinks he could learn something from him, a guy that could be there here. But, yeah, like you say, there is a lot of pressure on him. He realistically, either this year or next year, has to have a Reggie Bush-esque kind of season or he, we will... Like say within the next year or two, if he's not delivering, they will be thinking about moving on pretty quickly. We're not yeah. going to cling on to these uh, the tail courts of running backs like we have over the past a year. Yeah, right. Talking about someone who was pretty willing to throw people under the bus, TJ Hawkinson came along next, and uh, straight out of the gate, he said, "Everyone's having fun. It's a completely different working environment." Yeah. Um, then he was asked about tight end U. He said that uh, tight end is a unique position. You need to get everyone together, learn from each other, and elevate the position. The DBs, the linebackers, the defensive line, they all have a camp. And, you know, tight end is a unique and difficult position. So it's perfectly appropriate to formulate this along with the friends that he's created during the offseason, which we've all enjoyed seeing the adverts for and, and what have you. Uh, on reviewing last year's tape, he said that when he was in the moment, he thought he knew what he was doing. And then he reevaluated his tape, looked at what he was doing, and he had absolutely no idea. So given the breakout <laughs> year we consider that he's had, he still thinks that there's absolutely massive room for improvement in terms of learning different coverages, playing different techniques, the game's slowing down for him. It's still not there yet. So if you think he was good last year, you wait. You wait until this year. Um, he said that Jared Goff really cares about his players and wants to connect with them outside football and just hang out and be friends with them as much as be colleagues. I think that was in direct reference to Stafford as well, who I gleam is a fairly private guy off the field. So he made a specific point to that. Um, he said that Jared Goff is a hungry guy and that we're all excited to have him here. He's a really smart player. Um, guys are excited to go out and practice now as compared to 
you know, in, in brackets, he didn't say it as compared to, to last time out. Um, he said, we get to play a kid's game for a living. Not many people can do what we do. You work for six or seven months of the year and get paid really well. It's a cool and unique thing. So he's very much got his feet on the ground in terms of how important what he does. Um, he talks about Ben Johnson, the, the tight ends coach. He said that he is one of the best coaches around and that he's really lucky to have him once again. In terms of specifically what Ben is teaching him, it's route running, having his knees over his toes, football knowledge, scheme understanding, and you know the, the, the list goes on was the implications. So there, there's a lot to work on. He said he was watching Megatron tape, Kelsey, Kittle, Waller, everyone in the book that you can imagine, um, and that he hung out with Jelani Tavai in the off season, saying he's my guy that he took the weight loss seriously. He kept eating dessert in front of him saying, you want some, you want some. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> just teasing him with it. They sound like a right pair together. Um, uh, let's go for Ant first. Uh, Hawk didn't shy away from his comments. He he looks like he was particularly guarded under the previous regime and that he's really flourishing now. I think it's, you, you, I don't think you can talk about TJ without talking about his coach. You mentioned Ben Johnson, but I think, you know, Ben Johnson's been, you know, highly important to his development there. And one of the great things that Campbell did this year is he recognised the coaches who had done well, you know, Johnson, Fraley, and kept them. You know, he didn't just bring all his own guys in, he's kept the guys in who've done well, and he's just done a miracle job with him. Because after that first year with his injuries, his concussions, you know, fans getting on his back, it could have been really easy for him to just flame out. But you saw the progression last year, even with Patricia here, you saw the progression. Every weakness he had, he worked on, he got better at. We noticeably said, you know, he's getting, he's stronger. He looks stronger. He's route running, he's picking his battles. He just looked so good with everything he did. And this year, especially with Jared Goffin, who loves his tight ends, he's going to have a really big year. And I fully expect him to carry on his upward trajectory. Again, he's another who's just got the right attitude. And even in the hardest of situations, he's just improved no end. And like I said, it's down to, he's got a good coach with him. He's got a good attitude. The sky's the limit as far as I'm concerned with him. I've said it a lot. I think after Waller, Kelsey and Kittle, he's up there now. You know, you could have him in the top five already. So expect a big year from him. Maybe a thousand yards, I reckon, as well. So, yeah, I, I love him. I love his honesty. I love his attitude. Hopefully he's going to have a really, really great year. Yeah, I think he's got the chance being probably the number one receiving threat of that thousand yards. Ryan, how are you feeling on on our tight end? I love him. I just love everything about him. I think, like you say, he has just really come out of his shell. Like that rookie year, like you say, I feel like maybe he was held back a bit. Like like the, the, he kind of like put like a wet towel on him like but this year like he's just flung it off like I say I don't mind him throwing shade at the old regime if he felt like they didn't utilise him to the best of his abilities then he can go out and say it and I'm fine with that because that, that off season he, spelt, he spent with uh, Kittle he transformed him I don't know what they did what they worked on but forming this tight end you I think it's brilliant I think all of them are going to benefit from it because it's now becoming a premier position in the NFL it's a, it's it's because it's evolving. It used to be just a bit of this, bit of that, but now it's everything. Titans got to be able to do it all. Like I say, as Ant says, he's probably our biggest threat for a thousand yard season. He should easily beat, he should easily beat the record. I think of Pettigrew, like seven hundred eighty. 
with even with the extra game, he should smash that record. And I think it will be a personal aim of this year's this year to get the single season receiving record. That's going to be something that we circled on his calendar. And it's just something to look forward to. He, he just is enjoying it. He's out there having fun. And he knows that Jared Goff is going to rely on him very heavily. And Darren Fells as well. Those two could actually be a very interesting tandem. Yeah, I do worry that opposing teams are going to scout us and go, not sure about their wide receivers. But that tight end's good. Let's double him. Let's triple him. So I, I do wonder if that production is, is going to happen. But we'll see. Chris, what do you reckon on Hawk? Yeah, I it's 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 funny on on Hawk. Like I, I want to start on just like what you know, talking about the previous regime. Like I don't know. I feel like it should be the open season on Patricia. Like I was awful. Like I was just straight trash. I have nothing good to say about what it is. I am shocked that that um that we're suddenly I'm seeing Patricia being groomed in New England to you know eventually replace Belichick. It's, it's like not why true. would you want it? Can't be true. It, it can't. It can't be true. Also, he made the same. From what I remember, they made kind of the same offer to Josh McDaniels for him to basically drop that Colts job too. So this is clearly a Belichick, yeah, Belichick thinking on ways of just keeping everyone in the house. I just I don't know. Um, so, but like I've seen plenty of other guys who've gone for it. I understand why you're playing nice, but at the same time, like. I think I think that's about that's that's at Iowa that's at Iowa Midwest faint damning I want to be mean to you but I can't be too mean kind of deal going on there um, when it comes to him as a tight end uh, I, I think I just like to see him stay on his feet a little bit more this year um, if there's any hole to his game it's that every time I'd watch him he'd grab a pass and then fall down and one of the keys to a lot of the game in the NFL now is about it's, it's those three letters. Yak yard after yards after completion. It's a lot about catching the ball kind of early, early on a route on a quick release from a quarterback and then running what running your route and, and picking up more afterwards and Hawk just maybe just how he plays, but he's always, I always would see him last year, grab the ball and then fall down. Which I mean, cool. He he's getting those passes. I'm not going to take that away from him. But I think the next thing is is just adding that athleticism to his game to really take him to that next level. Um, I'm not going to say where I have him on tight end rankings because that would uh, that would co-opt the Pride of Detroit's list cast that is coming up here very soon. But uh, rest assured, like I, I think I think a lot of Hawk. I just I just sometimes I'm just like I, I maybe I'm too spoiled from say a Golden Tate, but Again, we talk about who Jared Goff is and everything I just said there about, you know, quick receptions, getting it out on an early release from the quarterback. Those are all things Goff did well in Los Angeles, and it's something that he will rely on Hawks. So I, I expect, you know, if that connection is there, then, yeah, absolutely. I could see a big season for Hawkinson. I don't know if he'll be triple teamed, but it's definitely um, it's definitely you know, something over the middle. It gets a little busy with, you know, between the linebackers and corners and everything to uh so it, it's a rough game for tight ends out there but they do when the good ones do it they do it pretty well yeah they tend to be game breakers when they're really i mean kittle is just out of this world sometimes um i do wonder how san francisco managed to win so many games with a pretty horrible injury this last year they were they were cropped very no carefully and, yeah very carefully right the last man up for the players in the in the presses was Amani Oruwariye, and he said that he is never satisfied. He's always coming in ready to work. He may be one of the older guys now on the team, but he still says stuff is new to me still. 
uh, Aaron Glenn and Aubrey Pleasant in bringing up new stuff. He still feels like he's growing as a player. It's great to have Glenn having played in his position. He tries to take in as much as he can from him all the time. Aaron Glenn apparently loves football and developing guys. He speaks with passion. He knows the potential that the young guys have in the cornerback room to do it. He said he has a few technique issues that have been highlighted in his game in the camp. Uh, everyone at corner looks great, though. He's feeling really good about where the room is right now. Um, he still feels like he can get better in all aspects of his game, but especially in route concepts and film study. And I'm going to come straight back to you, Chris. Armani, where do you see him on the depth chart? And what do you think of what he said just there? Uh, sorry, one second. My computer's chopping up a second. Uh, That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Give me one second. That's okay. So... I'll, th I'll throw it to Ryan. He'll come back. Yeah, yeah. No, I should be ready by then. Yeah. I, I, I worry for Armani. I feel like this offseason actually was really damning for him. Like the draft and uh, especially the signing of Quinton Dunbar. For me right now, he's cornerback three or four. He's slid immensely. I can see him having a real struggle beating out Quinton Dunbar and Akuda to get on the starting field. So I feel like he's at a bit of a loss right now. Like he, he's, he's not there to learn from Dunbar. Like he needs to beat him out now. Now he's actually got some serious competition because True Font didn't offer right much because he was so injury prone. But I feel like this is a big season for him. If he doesn't deliver this year, he could very well be gone, which is sad because he's a player that's shown some flashes, like the odd interception, but he's also a bit boom or bust. Like say he was been torched on numerous players, but then he's kind of made it up with the old pass breakup. So I feel like he really needs to dig deep this season. He needs to deliver something. Like we have to see a lot from him to for him to be a lion next year. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, he kind of felt a bit like Will Harris that had the old flash, and Will Harris just didn't have the flash at all. But, you know, Chris, let's come to you now. You've talked yeah. about those issues. Cool. Yeah, I'm still penciling him him in on the roster for sure. It's just oh, yeah. been probably higher up um, than people think. And again, it's the cornerbacks really suffered the last few years too. Just again, under Patricia, that it's hard to for me to cast too much judgment upon or And it's, it's a guy who was, I believe if I am correct, a date three pick at the end of the day, I think he was like a fifth rounder. Right. Um, it's just, it's, it's the fact that he's gotten as much reps as he has is already a miracle. Um, I think he has some room to grow, but there, when, when you're taking that low, it's your, your ceiling is, is pretty low at the end of the day even with corners developing a little bit slower and um, uh, taking time to adapt as we've seen with Okuda. But I think that's, again, this is a position group that's very, very much so a wild card, right? It's, it's, it's a wild card because we don't know what Okuda is. We don't know what Orarie is. Um, you've got rookies in there with, um, with the Fitu Melifonwu, whose name I just finally got down. And uh, I, I think, I think he, and, he, he should be all right, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think a lot of the guys who have been established, Aaron Glenn being himself a defensive back, probably helps coaching up. Uh, if he says he's growing as a player, he's definitely open to it. Um, but yeah, as I said, he's probably like cornerback three right now. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And what do you think? Uh, <laughs> It's really difficult with Amani at the minute to 
sort of put a judgment down there on him. We've seen what he can do on his day. We've seen how good he can be. But we've also seen the side of his game that's not so good. And, you know, eventually one side is going to have to win out. He's going to have to become more consistent in his play to warrant been here past next year. I'm, I'm sort of in the camp with Ryan here. I think he needs to have a really good year. Like with Tracy Walker, he needs to have a really good year to justify staying on any longer than this season because I think the Melifonwu signing for me is huge. I, I really like Melifonwu. I think in front of him, he's very good in coverage. You know, he's he does a lot of the things that Amani does. And if he has a season where he gets better when the ball's put in behind him, which is weakness at the minute, if he makes big strides there, you know, I think he becomes better than Amani straight away after one year and you keep him on the cheaper rookie deal. But I don't want to see that. I want to see Amani do well because I've seen the player he can be. So, again, the attitude's right. He's saying the right things, but he has to start showing it consistently on the field now. And hopefully with a better pass rush, and, you know, more reliable veterans at corner to help him. He's now in a better position to succeed. And I want to see him succeed. But, yeah, even just an average year and he's going to be in trouble because I think Melifon Wu is, is going to be serious threat to him. Yeah, I completely agree. It's something that we talked about actually after our season was basically over, that every single free agent that came to the Lions looked worse than in their previous stop. And, you know, it could be that every single player literally got worse when they got here. Or it could be that the scheme was shite and just (laughs) made it worse for everyone on the team. The thing is, this team is not as bad as people think it is. It's just not. The scheme made everyone look bad. And I think that if the players actually are playing for each other in a scheme fit for the 20th century, not maybe not the 21st, but, you know, it might be an improvement that I think everyone on this team is going to look a little bit better. But my worry about Oriwarie is that potentially, at a time last year when he could have stood out from the crowd like Crosby did a little in looking good in a sea of awfulness, that he might look better than he did last year when everyone else does, and then he's still not shining. That's my biggest problem, is that can he separate himself? And I do worry that the answer is probably not that's how i feel about money anyway that is all of the players we also had aaron glenn and mcdc uh they were fairly long interviews so i will try and be a little more brief um glenn said that flowers and aquara definitely have the ability to play coverage and that's why they're going to be the outside linebackers in the scheme they're not going to try and do it too often but they have the ability to do it the one concept, if he had to pick one, is that they're going to try and eat up as many guys as possible up front to free up the linebackers to go and hit guys and play coverage instead of looking to stop the run. Uh, he said that Tavai's looking really good right now, that he gives credit to the previous coaches for delivering them versatile guys who can play many different ways with side speeds, uh, size, speed and length. Um, he said that Jamie Collins could play in a five-man front on the edge instead of playing as a an inside linebacker. So that's interesting, particularly. He said there's a lot they can do with Vicky Melifonu with his size. Um, I worry about that, personally, because it's like, so does he have a position then? Um, but, you know, maybe we'll get to that. 
Uh, he said Dom Capers is one of the most organized people that he's ever worked with. It's a no-brainer to get him in. He's a great man and teacher. They're developing Jeff Akuda into someone who understands himself better to allow the scheme to take things away for him, and then his technique will take away the rest. He doesn't need to cover the entire route tree. Um, he said that a lot of guys in the secondary don't understand leverage still, which is very, very fucking worrying. Um, <laughs> it's an indictment on this previous regime. They weren't coaching them. They weren't coaching them. So, God knows. Anyway, um, he said that we have a long way to go. I think I'm going to chop it off there. There was a lot more in there about <laughs> Jelani and Barnes and Collins, but I think there's enough there already. We've got a long way to go. This defense is... They're all rookies. They're all rookies right now. That's where we're starting from. They don't understand what they're doing. Because the coaching staff had one man who knew what he was doing because he's a rocket scientist, baby. Uh, but he had no fucking clue about football. He couldn't fire a rocket, but could he throw a ball? Uh, Ryan. I mean, look, there's <laughs> different guys do different things for, for different coaching at the end of the day. It's just, I, I don't know. Some guys just get in over their head and I... I think there's just been enough there from Patricia that it's whatever they were doing. It baffles me that there is such a thing as a guy who doesn't know how to coach coach rookies out there in the NFL. Um, but clearly something was just going over a lot of people's head and they had three years to figure it out and they didn't figure it out at the end of the day. So it's, it, it's rough because it feels like a lost few years when it comes to Again, the, traje the trajectory of the team, it was supposed to be, you know, the great big cap after, you know, all the growth between Schwartz and Caldwell to go to Patricia. And instead you find a guy who's just, uh, who just wants to put in a scheme and just let it fly. And it's, I, I it's, it's a little baffling to me because I, I'm trying to figure out what happened because it's not like they didn't have rookies in new England, right? Like they, they had rookies in new England too. That was a thing. So what? So you just take it out of new England and just suddenly you lose a coaching acumen. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a young team. I think people are going to, I'm going to think fans are just going to have to, to, to vibe with that or to learn with that for right now is like, yeah, it's a young team. There's going to be growing pains and, uh, you know, we, we, I, I think we, we, sh we're again, I, f I think fans sometimes are shying away from what exactly goes into a rebuild, but it is a full rebuild at this point. It's not like complete blow it up, trust the process, but it is in the NFL terms a rebuild right now. And part, a lot of that is on the defense. Like I am uh, shocked at some of this, some of the stuff that's there on the defense right now. And it's a lot of, Defense more than anything is such scheme based in the NFL that it's just a matter of just trying to fix it all. And it's, yeah, it sucks. I think everyone knows what's cut out for them. At least, at least for the guys at Allen Park, they know what's cut out for them. Um, we'll see how fans react the first year, but I mean, hell. And how are you feeling on what Aaron's had to say there? There was a lot more that he said too. I think there's a lot of home truth there when he says there's a long way to go because. As Chris has just said, there's so many rookies in this defense. You, you look at the corner group, you know, Oruwari, Akuda, Melifon Wu now in there, the safeties. Tracy Walker's still a rookie, technically. He's on his rookie deal anyhow. 
Will Harris is there. Then you don't even get to the line. They've just everywhere there's rookies spread around. And I think it's good that there's a lot of young, coachable talent in there, which is going to become a very good defence over time. But again, there's there's not the there's not the veteran experience in there to be able to provide results straight away. So I think he's entirely right in saying that there's a long process ahead. But you know, I think we there is there is reason for us to be positive because, like I said, there's a lot of guys in there who are immensely talented. You know, we've got Barnes in there now. We've got Melifonwu in. Beckett, I reckon, is going to be a starter by the end of the year. The UDFA, I think, he's got a lot of players he's going to love to work with. But yeah, long way to go as far as that goes. And the stuff on Flowers, I agree. Maybe moving Flowers out to linebacker, outside linebacker, I think it's the right decision to make. I want to start the two rookies. If we're playing this 3-4 system, and I know we'll talk about it more in weeks, but I think McNeil and Onwuzurike have to start. You've got Brockers in there, so you know you utilise Flowers somewhere else. There's a lot of depth, a lot of rotation we can use. But I think to start with, it's a good it's a good bet to try and get him there, see if something different will happen. But Glenn's very switched on. He's very talented. He's got a bright career in front of him, and I like the thought of what he's going to do with all these talented young guys we've got, just not in the immediate. I think we need to keep our expectations down just for a little while, and then we'll see something really cool come out of it. Yeah. Ryan, finish us up on, on Aaron Glenn. Uh, I think, well, in a nutshell, what he basically said was whatever the previous regime was doing, it was just too complicated. I think that's the thing. Like They, didn't, they weren't able to break it down enough for a, a young bunch of guys that clearly couldn't grasp what they were trying to teach them. Like I say, if you're in your second year and you don't understand leverage, something massively went wrong. I think for Glenn, I think it's a case of dumbing it down, making it simpler and slowing the game down for them. Like that, that's realistically what he has to do with his secondary. Like I say, he was gifted with a bunch of young, athletic, talented guys. That's what he's grateful for. I mean, that's the only thing we can be grateful for, for the previous regime that we got some big, long, athletic guys. Let's see what someone that with a bit more now can do with them. And like I say, we have to be patient. We have to set our expectations fairly low for a year or two, I'd say. But I'm fine with that. Yeah. All right. We're going to finish up the presses with MCDC. And he started us off talking about DeAndre Swift and said that his Twitch and quickness definitely shows up and it's a breath of fresh air to see us. He's got so much room to grow and having Jamal in there will help and do swill too. In terms of making the OTAs happen, after the letter saying that he weren't going to do it, he said he contacted the leaders and team to work with them, that all the players that turned up, they're committed, but it is voluntary. Uh, he said that the guys that are here were all willing to make the first step. I do wonder if that's an indictment on those that didn't decide to come, but, you know, there we go. Um, in terms of fun, he said, we're just being fun. Our coaches are demanding, but they also know how to praise guys when they're doing well. Work is fun when it's competitive, even if it's as small as it can be. In terms of reducing the OTA days, he said the guys want to be here and that the players didn't ask for a reduction in the OTA days. Uh, Jared Goff being there has been big. He runs the system very well. The other guys are being helped by him being there. He throws a pretty ball. He likes the mannerisms and the command that he's showing in the huddle. And Jared working outside with his guys did help a bit. They weren't starting 100% from scratch, so it's giving them a jump start into week one of OTAs. He said that with so many young guys who need some focus and learning, making a rookie-focused week four of OTAs makes sense, but veterans are welcome if they want to do a bit of work. In terms of O-line, it's all about communication and working together when they haven't got the pads on. 
he said that Penacel looks like a rookie, which is, I guess, expected, but worrying to hear. I, that is sort of the thing that I would have thought that the previous regime would have kept handily under their hat, but the, the honesty is refreshing, if nothing else. Um, he said that he looks athletic but small next to Taylor Decker, which is just mad to think when Saul is an absolutely mountain of a man. Um, he's got talent, he's hungry, he's aggressive. Even even in three days, he can see that he's improving already. And on Amon Ra, he said for a rookie, he's all business. He's very detailed and orientated, knows the playbook pretty well already. He's taken it very seriously. He's growing on offense, but also on special teams. And you don't see a lot of that in a rookie. His approach hasn't had to be taught. He grew up like that with the, the family that he's had. And obviously his father was a, a former two-time Mr. Universe. And the photo of him, you know, in his pants with the, with the glistening body oiled up and whatever is like, oh my holy God. So yeah. Um, and Dan Campbell is just a breath of fresh air every time I see him. He, he cannot not tell the truth. He has to tell the truth. It's like someone has given him some sort of serum where he's like, I will spill. I will spill. Here's the tea. <laughs> Dan Campbell understands the situation of the Lions, I think, perfectly. He, he realises there's been years and years and years of broken promises and false words. And he realises the fans aren't going to stick for it anymore. And like you say, he's just been honest. He's coming out with the truth. He's saying what he thinks about things. But... I think the thing about him is it's the buy-in that the, he gets from the players. You know, we might not be the best team this year. You know, we might end up with just a few wins, but there's no doubt that the players are going to go out there and show a fight that we've not seen for some time now, especially under Matt Patricia. I mean, we said it the other day, I mean, with the OTAs, they said they had over 80 players show up for it. And one of them wasn't Heath because he was injured, you know, to get so many players coming when they don't really have to. It just shows the level of commitment they have to him and that they're buying into what he's doing. So, you know, he's, he's saying the right things. Whether he can translate it into tangible progress forward remains to be seen, but it, it's good just to hear the truth for a change and not hear the same stupid sound bites that we used to hear from Matt Patricia all the time about fundamentals and all sorts of words that... Pad level. Hear about them. Um. <laughs> I know it's a banned word on here, but still, it's, it's just great to hear him say it how it is. You know, and we'll sit be... up straight. Sorry. Yeah. Ryan, how are you feeling on, on Dan Campbell? Like you say, what's not to like? Uh, like you say, it's, it's, it's just refreshing. It was definitely a dig at the people that didn't turn up for LTAs. Like, he is very honest. Like, he was basically saying, look, we're all here having a good time, mate. You've just turned up. If you're not here right now without a valid reason, well, that's not going to look good. And I do take offence to that. You turn up to OTAs is having a bit of respect towards him saying, I'm here, I'm ready to work. So he will take offence to that, like you say, and rightly so. Like, he, he's just a straight-up guy. Like, he isn't going to hide that. Like you say, I like the fact of, uh, like you said, about Amon Ra St. Brown. Like, I think this is a kid that's got a lot of talent I just think like he just needs to mature a little because he's just I can just tell he's got like he's a bit big-headed he knows he's good he's going into a room thinking like say like I'm a I'm a bit of a stud like everyone look at me I think this NFL season like he's really gonna mellow that down that's gonna like beat an hour of him like in physically and mentally so if he's there to work 
he's he's got the potential to be the brightest spark of all the rookies, realistically, because he's gonna he's gonna be exciting and create some big players. So I I just I like the fact that everyone there just respects him. They listen to him. They believe in what he says, and he doesn't tell us things what we want to hear. Don't tell us things for the sake of our sake, like for us. Like it's just it's for them. Like they're gonna battle to the very end, whether we whether we lose twelve games, at least we know we're gonna fought in every one of them. Like, and I get that because slowly every season we're gonna turn a bit of a corner underneath them. Yeah, they they're gonna know that when he praises someone, it's gonna mean something. Definitely, you're gonna get nothing but the truth, Chris. Dan Campbell, he's a, a breath of fresh air, right? He's a different cloth, if nothing else. Um, I remember when he first, uh, first time I saw him as a coach, when he took over, when Joe Philbin was shown the door unceremoniously, I believe in 2015 for the Miami Dolphins. And there were a lot of jokes made at the time. I've listened to a lot. I used to listen to a lot of Dan Lebetard at the time, um, which is a Miami-based show. And they kind of lost their mind over this guy who was just a Neanderthal chewing on legs. Um, and I mean, look, I, I think he was even out. Um, sorry, I accidentally opened up something here. Um, it was even out, you know, Cal again, I think I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, Calvin Johnson mentioned, he remember seeing him play together in Detroit. The guy is a former tight end. He's a former, like they, they, they had a commercial made of him when he was under Parcells, for the Cowboys where he goes and tackles a horse. Um, this is his reputation, both as a player and as a coach. It's, it's the great experiment to see how well a former player under the shield that close to playing days can be as a coach. And uh, I, I mean, he, he's going to be honest. He's going to be unvarnished right now. I think that plays well to the fan base. We'll see if it continues to play well. I think uh, it, it brings its own set of of risks and rewards when you're not talking in the same language of every other uh, head coach out there. And it's kind of surprising he never really picked that up when he was in, say, you know, New Orleans as an assistant to to Sean Payton. But it's just it's who he is. I think uh, I, I hate to say winning cures all, but I think how we approach him is absolutely going to depend on how much he wins in the coming years. Um, I think right now though, as you say, breath of fresh air is absolutely the way to go because, but that happens a lot in the NFL. We kind of overcorrect sometimes when it comes from coaches, we have the hard ass. We go to the player's coach, the player's coach doesn't work out. We want the hard ass back. So on and so forth. It, it was that swing between Schwartz to Caldwell to Patricia. It's kind of another swing here, but it is very different in that he's coming from a very different path to becoming a coach. A lot of other guys were never really great ball players. Whereas, like again, he's he's an NFL. He was a former NFL starter. Shit, like it's 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 very different. And I, I think the OTA comment is very telling as to like that's the mentality of kind of the turn of the two thousands. In that, like, hey, it might be a bad situation with OTAs, but you just turn up. You just turn up and you do it. Um, real quick though, on Amon Ra, I, I do I, I have a bet I have a different take on him in that maybe it's I think partly because of his family might might be why he's such a I think it's not right to use the word hard ass, but I don't really have a great other term for him. I remember reading an LA Times piece about the St. Brown family about um 
John St. Brown apparently likes a uh, foreigner and in the car, he would play foreigner for his kids and sing to it. Karaoke entire damn ride. I feel like Amon Ra has grown up in a very not not rough in a bad way, but rough in like a very quirky family and a, a family like where his mother, he has to learn German because his mother doesn't speak English. And his father is just, as you say, you've got a picture up of him glistening with sweat and a jerry curl, belting foreigner in his ear, screaming hot blooded. Every time he turns around, he's got brothers playing football. Oh, my God. And then you go to USC, which is like, that's a stat. That's a, a school that constantly turns out wide receivers. I think he just plays with such a damn chip on his shoulder right now where he's just like, I come from such a pressure cooker of a family of weirdness that I'm here to just show you I'm all business. I'm all serious. Um, maybe that hurts him in the long run. I, I think it's, it, it's fascinating to see. It's kind of, I, I feel like he's playing a bit of, uh, can I call him a straight man? I almost want to call him straight man there. Um, he just, yeah, as he, as it's like, as they say, he grew up like that. He grew up with a lot of, uh, a, a lot on his shoulders. Like hell, I remember day th- going into day three, he was practicing at midnight. Like, I mean, who does that? Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, just no, I, I'm not I'm not saying that to knock on him. I'm just saying like, um, I don't know. My friends and I like making uh, fun of the phrase. I'm just built different. Amon Ra feels like he's just built different. He's had this weird pressure cooker of a very quirky family and gone to a school that is uh, has its own kind of quirks and weirdness with its boosters, but also prides itself on its wider receivers. And he's. Man, he's he's unique. I'm I'm excited as as someone who went to USC, who's seen plenty of these games. I, I think I even saw him on Raw play when in the Coliseum. But um, I'm just excited to see what he can be. It's it's a rookie. Who knows? But um, yeah, he's he's got the attitude right now. That'll be interesting to see. Again, as a storyteller, like that's that's what I like to see on Amon Ra. Like I'm already putting a story together in my head about him. Hopefully, he's better than his brother at Green Bay. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's so it's, it's funny. Cause like, I know he's got a third brother who's going to be coming out of Stanford and I know given that family, they're all going to be measuring up against each other at some point. Uh, come, come the holidays. Speaking of green Bay, we've got a comment on Twitch from zero dark 40, who oh, no. is our, who is our co-host who's hiking in Scotland at the moment, have managed to find a Wi-Fi spot to watch us. And he says, and this is a bit of a long one, but it's going to be worth it. You'll see why I was cracking up during what Chris was saying in a minute. He says, I have a question for the panel. After catching up with the Packers press conference today, he's the NFC North writer for NFL Scotland. So he's allowed to watch the Packers press conference. Um, he caught up with the Packers press conference, and they had Packers running back A.J. Dillon. He took time to talk some absolute bullshit about his quads today. He says his quads are the biggest and strongest in the NFL. He now has nicknames for both of them. One is called the Quadfather, and the other is Quadzilla. He wore a Quadfather hoodie to the presser. His question is, do any of the panel have body parts named after the Packers players? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to. Pre- I needed to prep for this. All right. Um, hmm, let me think. Let me think. It, I'll let you guys go first while I'm thinking of this because oh. I hate dead air. Um, yeah. Well, me too. <laughs> Anyone? A uh, body part they've named after a Packer. Um, I mean, uh, Rogering is obvious, isn't it? Um, 
uh, that's that's thinking that you're gonna fuck someone up, but ultimately you you succeed once and fail every other time. Um, that's how you end up with a kid, anyway. Um, can we come back to that after the conversation? I'm trying to think now. Oh, there's got to be some really good answers out there, but I'm conscious of the fact that we have been running for two and a half hours, and we did have a whole other section, but I think this is probably going to wrap up once we finish with this, unless unless you have a big desire to run on a bit longer, but I think... I think no, we've, so. we've, got a lot of, we've got a lot of summer to get through, so... Mason Tongsby. Not a bad thing. Uh, Mason Tongsby, I kick long. I kick long with my with my tongue. I just, uh, I don't even know what that means. I, I'm 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 an idiot. Mason, I'm gonna stick with Mason Tongsby just because I have nothing else for this. I'm gonna go down with this ship. Yeah, yeah, I think you're gonna have to because I think the rest of us are gonna fail epically with this. Um, I've got one. I've got one. Equinemius Saint Frown because I always need to get my eyebrows done. I have a monobrow. That's the best I can do. Nobody is allowed to say Jordan. No one is allowed to say Jordan loves sponge, by the way. That's that's completely verboten. I'll just go Kevin King because I have a royal look about me. My nice. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. I got nothing. Yell. I got nothing. I, I'm prepped up for this podcast. None of what I've done is organic today. So you can't ask me to come up with something. On the spot, that's not my job. It's above my pay grade. That's what the analysts are paid to do, and Ryan. That's your job. <laughs> um, Wisco has just said, isn't Dylan a second-year player? Yeah, absolutely he is. Um, I think he was regarded as a reach last year, slightly by the Packers, uh, taking him in the second. He was probably the third running back of the Premier 3 that came out, and I think he was meant to be the kind of third or fourth-round grade. Did you not see the pictures of Giovanni Bernard's quads today? Those things are like they're fucking huge. I, I think. <laughs> oh, Gio Bernard, the never skip leg day. Yeah, never skip leg day. Right, we are gonna wrap it up there. Unless anyone wants to venture anything else, Chris, do you want to plug or do anything like that? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at uh, at Chris Perfett. Um, P E R F E T T. We know that. Yes, that's right. That's that. right. I have to. I, I I apparently still have to spell that out. Um, I stream. I've been trying to stream a little bit more uh, over at No Decaf with a K. Uh, we're just doing some video game stuff, but I know that's kind of been the personal channel since we're partner now. It's part of the Tr- Pride of Detroit family, and um, I've been off for about a week. But if my power comes back tonight, I would like to get back on that train, especially what? since. What do you play? What's that? What's he playing? Uh, so it's been random games. I don't really have one in particular. At some point, I'm going to start punishing myself with bullet hell games like Toho, just because I I am a uh, I, I like pain. Um, and but at some point, I think you know we we were I've been talking with people about like I don't, you know what I don't even know what I'm doing with the channel right now. Like I used to do Dungeons and Dragons on it. It's why I started it, but I haven't had it. I'm trying to put a new group together. It's I think you were asking me about what I would podcast about. Otherwise, like I, I like kind of role playing games, um, and I would like to get kind of back on that boat. But it's just kind of a whatever. It's a chance for me to just to talk to people, if nothing else. If people pop in with lions questions, I will answer them. Although obviously, sometimes in the off season, I like to shut my brain off. And as always, speaking of the off season, the Pride of Detroit POD cast, which you know we put that out quite a bit. We've had. 
just huge. I I am shocked with the community that's grown up around us, and I would encourage anyone not only to check out the Twitch channel when we do those things live, but also to check out our Discord server. It's how we've really kind of put a community together. And I think I said at the beginning, sports are about building community for me. Um, there was a book I read like way back again, like, as I said, but I feel like we're all atomized. We're all between home and work. So my chance to grow a community is the biggest thing I can do. So I almost, I almost feel like I, I shouldn't need to plug too much besides like, besides that. I, I always hate plugging myself sometimes. I know I have to do it in this business, but it's, um, I, I like to think I, I'm just an avatar for weirdness out there instead. So, sorry, let me get back to basics. At Christopher Fett on Twitter, at Pride of Detroit, Pride of Detroit PODcast, find it on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit, find that stuff. Myself, twitch.tv slash no decaf with a K. And, um, yeah, I'm going to stop myself because I'll just r- run right off the cliff. It's all good, man. We love the weirdness. This has been an absolutely cracking couple of <laughs> hours. Um, it's It's been so much more than I expected. So thank you so much for coming yeah. on. It's not that I had again, low expectations to begin with, but it just had high expectations <laughs> and you surpassed it. So. You should always have low expectations for me. But again, what you guys are doing <laughs> is important. It gives, it gives a voice to to um again like a part like this is what the nfl keeps trying to grow right they keep trying to put these games in london and i don't fault them for it other than the fact that i live on the west coast it's hard for me to do that anymore but i also work overnight so watching normal games is hard for me and i try to you know i pull some magic tricks to make it happen um but i mean it's 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 it represents as I said, it's all about your niche, right? It's if you find a niche for your podcast and that niche is happens to be, you know, European and British football fan, uh, American football fans, then by all means, you just pound it. You have to give those people a voice. And I'm, I'm happy to see the, this kind of podcast exist. And I'm very happy that I got that you guys brought me on for this. So thank you. Thank you at the end of the day. And thank you no, as thank, well. Thank you. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> right, our next episode will be this time next week. Actually, no, it won't be because we're not on Tuesday. It will be in six days' time, Tuesday 8th of June. We will be looking at the stuff we missed out this time around. So first seven opponents, we will have a look at their draft classes. As I said at the top of the show, it's a bit early to have a look at how that's going to play out against us, but we'll have a look at the rosters nearer the season start. We'll have a look at how they drafted and I keep promising it, it is coming. Live film breakdown on all of our draftees are coming. My article on Penny Soul will drop tomorrow too. So check that out on RoarTheLinesUK.com. As for our socials, YouTube, Royal the Lions UK, that's the same name as our Facebook page. The Facebook group is Detroit Lions Fans UK One Pride Worldwide. On Twitch, ROTL underscore UK. And the same on Twitter, Instagram rotl.uk plenty of articles and what have you in-depth analysis from royalthelinesuk.com please subscribe and rate us five stars on apple Podcasts. we'd really appreciate that any questions you have you can send them to us there or our dms are open on twitter as well just remains for me to thank once again our amazing guest chris perfect co-hosts Ant and ryan i'm matthew turner we'll see you next week on the royal the lines uk podcast let's go lions one pride one pride, one pride.